Hello, this is Coffee and Psychosis. I'm drinking a malt drink. I'm joined by Simon, who's drinking a herbal tea, mandarin and ginger. How are you, Simon? Uh, I'm alright. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself, or shall I introduce you? Yeah, short biography. Me. I, I yeah. always like this when someone else introduces me. <laughs> so Simon is a young lad, right? Uh, Human. Where where does where does the line between lad and like thirty five? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll be lad then. Yeah. That's good. Human. Yeah. I think that's accurate. That's about it. That's all I've got on you. I think. I think I know. I feel like I know you more than I actually do because I've edited footage of you so i've spent sure. like 50 hours just looking at you <laughs> without you being there yeah which is kind of creepy but mm. i guess job. by by the same token i know a lot more of you now than um we've actually had conversations about because i've listened to every episode that you've put out of this you've got a, a menu of sorts to work through yeah um how do, how do we start with this though when i say psychosis what does it mean to you what pops into your mind first? Psychosis? I, yeah. I thought we were here to talk about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no. Have you ever seen a film called Waking Life? No. Richard Linklater. I've heard of it, though. Oh, I'd recommend it. So my first memory of like that word psychosis or psychotic, there's a quote in that which is something like, uh, like remember and remember because... Remembering is so much more of a psychotic experience than forgetting. And I didn't really understand that at the time. I'm not sure I understand it now. But um, that that film, like looking back on it, I've not watched it in a good few years, but that's it feels quite psychotic, that film. Is that before? Did, did I watch that before the, <laughs> yeah. the psychosis happened for me? Is that, is that what we should, we should call it? The psychosis? The psychosis. I've started calling it. The psychosis, yeah. like people, you know, they say the flu. <laughs> yeah, I started with it. Oh, I got, I got the psychosis. <laughs> it <just> sounds funny. <laughs> How you doing, Simon? Oh, yeah, not too bad. Just uh, getting over a bit of the psychosis. Yeah, you know. I'm, I'm getting by. Yeah, yeah. Got I, some tablets. <laughs> <laughs> tablets, yeah, and some herbal remedies. They seem to be. Uh, helping they're probably a placebo but so where do we go from here where do we go from here we step in a time machine is that is that what we're gonna do we will do but yeah yeah you've got a plan to my my little list <laughs> yeah contain oh you've got the, d- the disclaimers the disclaimers yeah. go on, cautions um, <laughs> being a person who works in the field of mental health now i've done for uh, seven eight years um i've been telling people about this podcast but not necessarily telling them that i'm gonna be on it there might be people listening to this who weren't <laughs> expecting to hear me. And they'll be like, oh. Could be a different Simon. It could be a different Simon. There's a lot of Simons out there. If you if you think you know me, just listen to it pretending that it's a different Simon. That might be a good way. Yeah. To... <laughs> oh, I'm getting more and more excited now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Well, what I wanted to say was if you weren't expecting to hear me on this podcast and you know me, like, and I've not told you about it, uh, you know, listen on at your peril. There's a, a sense of, is, is it always good to learn things about other people without kind of being there, having the conversation with them? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This um, is as close as people can get to being eavesdropping on a conversation. That's true, yeah. Without the risk of criminal prosecutions, <laughs> stalking and things like that, or wiretapping. Yeah. 
similarly for close friends and family. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but are you going to make them listen? There's there's some people that I've told already that I'm doing this, yeah. and there's some people that I've been like, in anticipation. Oh, you've done more promo than I've done <laughs> at all. Sounds like sure. Yeah, there's definitely some people who I think I will want to listen to this. Some people, including my girlfriend, who like. I've never really talked about this stuff with, and it might be better to like have that conversation face to face rather than. But you're going to do this anyway. Yeah, I'm yeah. still doing this anyway. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, it's it's not always an easy conversation to have, and and it's it's not necessarily that I've actively avoided talking about this with certain people. It's just that like, having been in recovery for. You did some air quotes there I for the did. benefit of, I, of the radio, thank of you. the tape, as, yeah. as the police would say. <laughs> yeah, uh, so recovery, whatever that means for, yeah. well, I last came out of hospital in 2009, so it's been uh, coming up 10 years. So this stuff hasn't really been on my mind that much um, until listening to this, thinking about the idea of coming on, telling my story. Like, I've remembered stuff that I've not thought about in... A number of years, really. So it's not that I've been kind of hiding this from the people that are close to me. It's just that it's not been relevant to talk about, like with where I'm at. What do you think about like trigger warnings and things? (laughs) We as a uh, concept. One one trigger warning. That's all you get. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think people shouldn't listen to this if if no, if they're if they're at risk of being triggered. I I don't I don't mean like I'm going to talk about. No, <laughs> violence, violence yeah. and all that stuff that that phrase might usually be associated with. But yeah. I guess again, it's content, content, content warning. It's is probably it warning? better well, content something, isn't it? Content because they isn't it? You know, like people who've been held up by gunpoint or something, mm. they might be triggered by the word trigger because it's on the gun. Ah, yeah, oh, it's nice and considerate. Layers and layers of mm. consideration. Yeah. Content note, I think that's it. Content note. CN. Some of this stuff will might make you remember things that you've not thought about, because that's what happened to me in listening to the other episodes that you've put out so far. I, sh- I should have done a content note. Like, I should put it yeah. into the, the theme music. <laughs> I'm not here to try and edit you. Yeah. Everything you're doing so far is great. I'm also aware that I've mentioned this to one or two people who, you know, are people coming to me for support who have got that experience and... Yeah, well, again, it might be weird for them to hear me talking about this stuff, but just for them to be aware. We're, we're in for a good good show, it sounds like. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who else is on the list? <laughs> Who else on the uh, I think that's the main groups of people, but um, yeah, I suppose with more content. Yeah. <laughs> so I intend to talk pretty freely about you know, sensitive subjects and air quotes again um <laughs> so i might talk about sex and drugs yeah. and booze like love rejection pain spirituality conspiracy theories it's all kind of in there somewhere so we'll see where we go with it but like um yeah and i guess that's what i'm what i mean when i say like, particularly to my close friends family partner like maybe there's quite deep stuff that could come out here that is about them about them (laughs) but about me as well like and oh i've got a real exclusive here it sounds like yeah it's a scoop yeah Yeah, you've got the the gc uh position 
of yeah hearing some of this stuff that that's only been maybe written down and stored in a box in the attic until I dug some of this out. Oh, you've done research. Uh, wow. Self research, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Anyone else on the list? Anyone else on the list? Any um, politicians or anything? <laughs> well, I I wanted to make a bit of a reference to uh, Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> just uh, like, I don't know exactly where this conversation is going to go. And maybe it's better to start this with like, by saying, if you talk to my lawyer, He'll, he'll use the Alex Jones defense. Oh, what's <laughs> that? Heard of that? No. <laughs> Apparently, Alex Jones's lawyer says Alex Jones is in character when he's talking. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not though. He's not. Well, well, that's the joke. I think. What the interpretation is, he's in character. The character is just him, and he's playing that character all, all the time, even when he's off the job. Mm. But no, I quite like that sort of postmodern concept of the unreliable narrator thing like think about literature and, and art just I think it works quite well for a psychosis story because yeah you know fragmented it, yeah fragmented yeah. and there's no real real way of knowing if what happened was like real like it's real in my experience and I've got got a certain narrative and a memory of what happened and what I thought that meant but it's like how much can that experience be trusted by the objective world where things are supposed to make sense it's an interesting thought mm. could do a whole podcast on that yeah yeah maybe all right okay just a couple more things to touch on one thing though you've got right. you've got these notepads here how come you've written this list on an envelope <laughs> <laughs> well I I wrote this list a couple of times and then uh, and yeah. it was across a couple of pages of like, oh, I just want something like easy to hand to start with before I start like opening up the book that's got my notes of the actual story. So I wanted to mention that I've also written like a character list where I've changed the names of everyone that I've lost touch with because I, yeah. Yeah, I feel kind of strongly about protecting other people's privacy, confidentiality as much as is possible, like... Oh, this is sounding juicier and juicier. <laughs> it's mainly going to make make me look like the odd one, I think. But other people played a part in this, and you know, I've wronged some people. I've also been wronged by some people, and that's an important part of the story. Um, I can't imagine you wronging anyone, though. You always seem like a this this uh, section here shows. Well, you're yeah. a nice person, it seems. <laughs> Maybe that's the, the idea of this. It's the, you know. Redemption. Redemption, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I haven't always been the considerate person that people experience me as in my day-to-day life at the moment. Um, I think naturally I, I tend to have an appreciation of other people's needs and the effect that my actions might have on them but definitely when I go to that psychosis place that all goes out the window and it's just like nah like uh, this is this is my journey and I'm, I'm doing what feels right for me and you know to hell with the effect on anyone else like okay so my mum's crying at the moment oh it's all meant to be I don't know <laughs> that's w- what happens so we're saying that this is just like one part of my story yeah like, we're gonna do a trilogy yeah is that what you, yeah that's that's a plan the hope or well that's good because i need to get the episode numbers up 
Yeah. <laughs> so it works for me. This will be what number ten? Oh, maybe that's a that's a milestone. Oh yeah, yeah. Double digits. Cool. It almost took a year. So like one a month. That's quite a good going, I think. The only other bits that I felt were important to touch on. More questions for you, actually. These bits. Oh no. <laughs> There hasn't been a John episode yet. No, no, there hasn't. Well, I kind of just chuck bits in. Yeah, you know, I've I've got a fragmented sense of your story yeah. and the bits that you brought into the episode so far. Do you think you'll do a John spotlight episode? Maybe, one day? Well, maybe that would be like one hundred. <laughs> yeah, make make okay. them wait. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I can't just talk to myself. No. That's the thing. That's re- it's really weird trying to do that. Well, you, you've interviewed yourself in documentaries before. Yeah, I got, I got someone to ask me questions. Cool. Yeah, I will do it at some point. Yeah. What, what are the other questions? You might not like the diagnosis word. I'm not that <laughs> wed to it myself. Which but... one, though? <laughs> so, did, you, did they settle on a diagnosis for you? Like when you yeah. went to... You've not revealed that the, on the no. podcast? No. You, Should I? I don't know. I, I got well, first one. I got paranoid schizophrenia. Second uh-huh. one, just regular schizophrenia. Hmm. Third one, the bipolar. Okay. Yeah. The Holy Trinity. Yeah. That and then you know there's the like depression and anxiety and yeah. the psychosis in there as well. But mm. tend to just think of it all as the same thing. Yeah, I think it's worse. I prefer to see it on a spectrum rather than a conclusive. It's this or that. Like, yeah. And it depends on which doctor's assessing you, really, and what, oh, yeah. what notes they've read or haven't read. Mm. If if you were to pick, like, one of those, like, psychotic ones, which one do you, like, relate to most? If wow, any? of those ones I just said? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably say paranoid schizophrenia, because that's that's the one people are really scared of, so... That's cool. That'd I be good it. for my brand. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one they give to all the serial killers, isn't it? So I'll go with that, because people, yeah. people seem to have a strong reaction to it mm. yeah all right that's cool you you like to be uh you know pr- provocative yeah controversial I think that's the strength uh well for me it was when i first came into hospital uh, it's quite good that psychiatrist that i saw he didn't want to settle on anything too quickly it's like you know you've had acute psychosis um we're, we're not exactly sure what the diagnosis is yet we'll, we'll wait and see but now it's acute psychosis it's like oh well, that's nice at least it's acute psychosis not like an ugly one nice <laughs> nice that was a good dad joke <laughs> my dad loves uh little pun jokes like that yeah but, that's yeah. why they're called dad jokes <laughs> yeah yeah it wasn't even a joke at the time like literally the, the place that my mind was in i thought that's what he meant it's like acute. oh really yeah so whether that's my internalized dad like mm. uh all goes yeah. back to childhood <laughs> finding the jokes in in any moment you've said on the podcast already you had the one episode where you got caught yeah and the one where you narrowly evaded getting caught again i've been sectioned twice the first time was for being crazy the yeah. second time was for trying to kill myself uh-huh. i tried to run away yeah in the snow yeah and i thought i'd shook the paramedic off but when I tried to go home because it was cold, I wanted to die in my bed yeah. in the warm. <laughs> he was there. He was lurking, got me. Oh. And then I was only there overnight because all you have to do is say, I cry for help. Mm. They let you yeah. out. That's like, all they oh, need yeah. to hear. We, we get it. Yeah. 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 Helps there. So go, go and access it. Yeah. 
free frees up a bed for them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's which is the main thing that they're after at the moment. But other than that, no, no hospital stuff. Mm, cool. And how how long was there between those? Uh, only of... like maybe ten months. Okay, but but a good enough gap that like I'm out of hospital for for a while. Yeah, yeah, I was only in hospital for <clears throat> sixteen days. I worked out how you get out. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you're quite good at um, figuring out the system and how to exploit it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what it's there for. Yeah, so I I wasn't quite that clever apparently. It's hard. Yeah, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Easy. <laughs> Have you tried one of those escape rooms that seem to be in fashion at the moment? Full of puzzles and you got to... That's oh, no. Oh, like, there's a bunch of them in Brighton. I've not done one yet, but I've played like, video games that use the same concept and I really enjoy those. So I hate puzzle games. Yeah. It makes me feel really stupid. Yeah. So I can never do them. I get really impatient. <laughs> I'm like, why am I playing this? And yet you can work out the social puzzle. Yeah, because that's life or death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay games i just want to have like a nice relax and yeah. get involved in the story yeah, turn it down to very easy whenever possible mm-hmm. just makes you feel good <laughs> powerful it's like oh wow i beat that boss mm. like one hit the first episode i had i didn't have any contact with mental health services so that was my escape but you know looking back on it there's definitely this psychosis signs and thoughts and behaviors were there just didn't quite escalate to a point where I couldn't come back from it. That was 2005. And how old were you then? 17. Oh. So it, had I come into contact with mental health services, I probably would have been under children's services at that point. Yeah, it was the following year that it came back, like full-blown psychosis, and that led to me going to hospital. And I was there for like, I think, 10 days. They let me out, but I wasn't really well. So I went back. Um, it's maybe sort of, a three-month period where I was really unwell and admittable, um, detainable, as they say. <laughs> Did they say that? <laughs> well, yeah, it, I work in the field, and that that is the when they're talking about like, do we get the amps round the approved mental health professionals, that are the ones with the powers to section along with the two doctors? The question is, are they detainable or not? Like, are they legally meeting the criteria where someone can be detained under the Mental Health Act? What are we doing here? We're doing like an overview. Kind of. I'm just kind of giving you, I guess, a bit of a roadmap. And yeah. And then the second time that I got caught and had like a full episode, that was 2009. And again, it was about three months, roughly speaking, that I was in and out of hospital and in a bit of a state. So that's going to be a story for a future episode. Yeah? Yeah. What, what's the first episode then? What's Act 1? So today, today is going to be focused on that 2005, 2006. So that, the one where I escaped. The original. The original, yeah. yeah. And then the one where I got caught for the first time. That's what I would like to talk about today. A couple more questions to get through <laughs> for you. Just, uh, this is mainly... I've noticed in the episode so far, there's been a couple of like s- topics that have been, and I maybe slight roadblocks. I just want to kind of get that stuff yeah. out of the way. Yeah. Like what? The spiritual emergence one. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it Joe. Yeah. You were talking like, cause 
he was framing it in a, a spiritual way yeah. and you were I was devil's advocate yeah, yeah. devil's advocate yeah. skeptical which is good like yeah. I think it's it's helpful to bring that perspective like especially to stop people getting carried away with that line of thinking because one of the only things that stops me from going psychotic again is my ability to sort of think critically and skeptically yeah yeah it's good that you bring that to it but it did end up that he didn't really talk about like what he actually experienced oh like he, he didn't though he got he's the only one who hasn't who's been on that hasn't experienced anything n- no he so he's not he's the he hasn't had the psychosis no label. he hasn't had the psychosis but he he started talking about his like spiritual experiences and and I was like, because I think about it a bit in that way sometimes. You're like, John, let him talk. Time. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. And I, I think you ended it with like, we're going to have to do this again because he'd like run out of energy and had to go to work the next day. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, I want to hear what, what his actual perspective is on this and you know how he makes sense of it. Oh, this is good to know. I'm, I'm learning. So this is like customer feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... Uh, Maybe there's the argument of leaving wanting more, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. You can't come in. Cheers, cheers for that. I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> well, there have been other people you've spoken to, and even before that episode, like the conversation you had with Sophia, like yeah. very much a spiritual yeah. perspective, and, and that was allowed to be kind of fully explored and yeah. expanded upon. So. I'd, I'd know Sophia quite well, though. I'd only met that Joe guy like twice before. Okay. Yeah, so maybe that's a a difference i was grilling him so when i start talking about my spiritual perspective yeah don't <laughs> don't shut me down yeah yeah well you know like i don't even know what spiritual means anyway no. so i won't even know what's your what's your explanatory model like what what do you think happens or like how do you when make you die of, no no oh. just psychosis don't have one but you reject the medical model. Yeah. And you're... <laughs> it's more like what I don't think than what I do think. Yeah, is, I yeah, guess. I get that sense. Yeah. Your mind's not made up about the, the spiritual stuff. Like you said, you consider yourself an atheist. And to a degree, that's me as well. Like I, It's like a 1% with me that's like, hmm. Mm, yeah. Mm. But not like there's a guy in the clouds or anything more like... No. You're into... Unexplainable. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's some stuff that is very difficult to explain by purely like rational scientific mm. physical terms or just well, I don't know, maybe you can explain it all in those terms, but that doesn't really feel that useful. Yeah. Are you into like Philip Pullman at all? Do you know He's a he writes books? Yeah. Have you read any of them? No. Okay. But um I I enjoy his perspective because he's he's basically he's created a response to like c.s lewis chronicles of narnia like tolkien they're kind of very much like christian religious true believers and that they base their books on you know the christian theology philip pullman has written these books like uh, it's not exactly anti-christian but it's you could read it that way and um, more like anti-organized religion and repression that's more what I'm about. You're about rejecting things, right? <laughs> yeah, rather than accepting things. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, yeah. But um, yeah, I was reading about Philip Pullman, and he like defines himself as an atheist. If you're talking about like the Christian faith, the Church of England, if you're talking about it in a different way, then technically he's an agnostic. 
So, and I think I I get on board with that. Like, I definitely don't believe in God in the Christian sense, at least not now. Like, I've not had any experience that would suggest to me that that would be the, the truth. Call myself an agnostic, kind of broadly speaking, and that I find it difficult to, like, as difficult to accept there's definitely nothing, or to, to say you can prove there's definitely nothing more than what we can see. That seems as, as difficult an ask as trying to believe that there definitely is something. I think it's hard to be sure either way. And definitely certain experiences that I've had like feel spiritual, interconnected enough that makes me wonder. I'm probably more like 90% to 10%. People probably could call me spiritual because mm. some people, they think spirituality is just asking certain types of questions about existence. Yeah. Like that, isn't it? So yeah. I, I like asking those questions. Yeah. I think philosophy and spirituality are often intertwined, aren't they? Like, they yeah. don't necessarily have to be, but I think they're grasping at the same I don't know, modes of being or just ways of thinking about the bigger picture. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> did that answer your question? It did, yeah, I think so. <laughs> what was the question? What was the question? like? Was it, form- was it formulated a question? Probably not. Just like a complaint. Uh, what have I written down here? Spiritual emergence roadblock. <laughs> Common yeah. ground? I feel like probably we have more common ground yeah. in terms of thinking about this than thinking differently about stuff. I think probably we're coming from a reasonably similar yeah. place in that like neither of us are really sure on the definite answer for things, but we know what we don't believe. Gotta be curious. Yeah. Or open. When you assume you're right, that's not good. Yeah, that's when you stopped. That's what thinking. Hitler did. Gotta get a Hitler mm. reference into every podcast. <laughs> Nine episodes so far, six yeah. guests, plus you. So that's seven perspectives on psychosis. Yeah. I'm the eighth. Have you heard the term integrative psychology? I think so. I don't know what it means, but... Yeah, I only learned what it meant like a year or so ago when a psychologist told me that's how they work and that seems to be how most psychologists choose to work. It's... uh. It's like, so you've got someone who's trained in multiple different ways of doing therapy. Yeah. And when they meet with someone new for the first time, that they don't say, okay, we're going to do CBT. If you're doing integrative psychology, you're drawing from whichever way of working feels most helpful to that person at that time. The problem with all those different types of therapy, I find, is that like you have to really understand them yourself, don't you, before you go like looking for it or asking for it. So you're never going to get like... So as a... Just the guy on the street pop in on the off chance, be like, "Whoa, fancy some psychodynamic therapy." <laughs> yeah, unless you're someone who's already a bit in the know and has yeah. done the research and thinks they know what they want. They should do like the marketing they do for drugs. Why don't they do that with therapy? Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't we have a psychology rep going around to teams and offering a free lunch? Yeah, not as much money in it. That's why. Wow. Well, yeah. But maybe one that? day. Mm. So, Add it to the list of uh, dreams. Yeah, I should keep a list of dreams here. <laughs> yeah, just on, on the wall. And take them down if a psychologist ever comes. Well, the reason I brought up integrative psychology yeah. is I want to try and offer you <laughs> <laughs> an integrative psychosis. Yeah. Because <laughs> every episode that I've listened to, you know, that there's been some common ground there. It's been like, oh, yeah, that relates to my experience. And, you know, maybe... As we're talking, you might be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of what da said. I might not, though, because I don't remember. Yeah, okay. 
Well, I'll bring it up if, <laughs> yeah, if, I'm, yeah. if I'm kind of referencing something that I've heard on here. But an integrative psychosis. Like you can just reference previous episodes. Yeah. 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 To create a, a mythology for yeah. the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm on board with that. You know, we common, need some catchphrases uh, or something, really. Mm. Or archetypes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Themes. Yeah, I thought someone emailed me and said I should do like all the different themes and ask everyone those same questions. Too much work. Yeah. To prepare. Yeah. I don't know. It can be constricting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want everyone to fit the same mold. No, because they don't. No, exactly. And you, you can try to fit them into that mold, but and some people might go along with it. And it might be useful to have like a framework like that to fall back on if someone's not as forthcoming and. Yeah, but then I'm like, what I'm trying to destroy, aren't I? I'm turning into, you know? And then I'm sitting there with a checklist of things. It's like, oh, yeah, you do have acute psychosis. (laughs) You tick all the boxes. Yeah, become the things we hate. Yeah. You're into lag wagon, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, Let's talk about feelings. The second song, there's that quote from some film that I've not ever seen. It's, if you're not a rebel at the age of 20, you've got no heart. If you haven't turned establishment by the age of 30, you've got no brain. Yeah. That, <laughs> that does happen, doesn't it? Me. Yeah. How, how old are you now? 28. you still got a couple of years of the rebel fighting spirit. I'm only aiming for 50, so I can mm. probably keep it going. Yeah, it's, it's weird that I'm now like 30. Yeah. And, now you're old. You're yeah. 30 now. Yeah, I'm 30. Yeah. About time I turned establishment. Are you? Have you stopped listening to Lagwagon? <laughs> I still listen to Lagwagon. Yeah. I went and saw Propagandi the other day. Oh, yeah? yeah well, so. they're definitely not establishment. No, yeah, no, they finally so should keep it going. They, uh, they're they a good kind of model, I think, for how not to turn establishment. They went the other way, mm. more anti-establishment. Yeah, yeah. Are they more influential now than they were? They probably had a popularity peak along with the rest of Fat Records in the 90s. But, yeah. you know, people that are still into it like me I, I love everything that they've done pretty much I think they're still fresh and current and they've got a lot to say that people want to hear and need to hear yeah they're ridiculously good at what they do mm. aren't they their, their, their first album way different well the first album's just a straight up like punk album like mm. super like fuck you political and catchy anti- catchy yeah very catchy yeah anti-manifesto yeah very catchy they played that yeah, yeah, I think they closed with it. That's the their big one. Well, that's all of my like disclaimers, disclaimers, and that's like a fifty-minute disclaimer. Wow, cool. We can't have a fifty-minute disclaimer, can yeah, well, we? Well, feel free to like edit this as <laughs> as much as you need to. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I won't take it all out. <laughs> just that's a cool. just a disclaimer bit. <laughs> cool. Can we have a break and then I'll start yeah, talking yeah. about Yeah, I was going to say have shit. a break. <laughs> the real shit. <laughs> So we're back. Tone. We're on brand. We've both got coffee. Yep. Where do coffee. we go from here? You're in charge, right? So we go to the psychosis. Yeah. Am I in charge? I don't know. I don't know, John. Let's kind of loop this around a little bit. Let's let's start by talking about about the the one week, which I think is like the core of my psychosis and where like it all leads back to. And then I'll go back to the beginning and spiral back around to it it's going to be a pulp fiction one uh yeah Yeah. the week or two weeks before i went into hospital the first time i had the psychosis in a pretty intense way in barcelona 
Nice. Yeah, overseas. Exotic. Yeah, I got some kind of uh, Spanish flu variety. (laughs) I was on holiday with my girlfriend at the time and a bunch of her friends. Like, they're all from Oxfordshire. All pretty down-to-earth and alternative. And girlfriend at the time, she was into the same kind of music as me, like punk. We first met up at Reading Festival 2005 so yeah it was a holiday we were all like 18-ish there'd been a build-up where me and Rose had been arguing relationship tensions and weird stuff in my mind um I was like oh yeah I'm kind of feeling a bit like I did last year when I had this so in the build-up to the holiday there was that kind of tension going into it but we're just like oh let's just do it we'll just go and relax and sit on the beach and enjoy ourselves have some drinks it'll be fine that kind of process of being in that unfamiliar climate, drinking too much, having conflict with Rose and with the others that were there. Sun, not enough sleep, not enough food. Yeah, it all kind of spiraled out of control, I guess. And by the end of it, I was in such a state that they weren't even sure if they were going to get me on the plane home. But they did. What were you doing then? What was I doing? I was I was in my own world, like, by that point. I was existing in quite a different reality to the rest of them, or the rest of the world. I brought a few, like, props along with me. Yeah. Perfect for a non-visual art form. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll talk you through this one. So yeah. a band called Five Knuckle, who I grew up listening to, I saw them quite a lot in my teenage years. They would play Brighton Punk Rocks, which was like 10 bands for a fiver on a Sunday. So there's a long-standing tradition of buy a big bottle of Strongbow, go and sit on the beach and drink it, then go in and watch some bands. And Five Knuckle would be one of the bands that would frequently headline. Yeah, so this is their final album, Balance, which I kind of fished out as part of this like memory lane process. <laughs> the 10th track circles i'm gonna read the second verse here yeah. they say the mystics and the schizophrenics swim in the same ocean one is drowning the other is swimming where does that leave the rest of us bobbing along upon the surface deep deep yeah mm. i feel like i have to read that like 10 times <sighs> maybe to work it out well i listen to the song that might, might yeah i never heard it i check them out yeah did, well borrow the cd if you want um i've got a cd player uh, Oh, wait. I even put it on the memory stick. I'll take the memory stick then. Yeah, we'll do that. And why does that stand out then? So why does that stand out? Okay, so that's something that I said to Rose. Uh, I said, oh yeah, like this line in this song. So what happened last year was I was drowning. Um, And this year I'm trying to learn to swim. So like that line was schizophrenics and the mystics swim in the same ocean. The schizophrenic is drowning, the mystic is swimming. They're both tapping into the same stuff, just like one knows how to cope with it, the other one doesn't. So, yeah, it's very much like a mystical experience. Like, I'd, I don't know, I'd, I don't know if I'd really identify with the like hearing voices term. Um, it was more just becoming like super awake, like super aware to everything that was going on around me. So, I could, I could hear things that other people couldn't hear. I could see things that other people couldn't see, but I don't think I was seeing anything different. I was just kind of experiencing more of it at the same time or just on a slightly different level. Like heightened senses. Yeah. I'm not really into that concept of like energy. There's energy everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
hard to resist. Yeah, it's hard to resist talking about it, thinking about it in that way, because that is kind of what it felt like. Because you could see sort of colours and patterns, like little paths through the trees, or be just kind of walking around, like drinking it all in and just having these crazy thoughts. Crazy is not a great word. Um, <laughs> hey, I like it. Yeah, well, you can own it, can't you? Yeah. Well, just having these thoughts that my mind probably wouldn't have come up with had I not been in this state. Like everything seemed very significant and made sense in a way that could only really be des- described as like mystical or spiritual, just like a real sense of connection to everything around me. The problem is when you're on holiday with eight or nine people that are not in on that same wavelength, then it creates conflict. Yeah. <laughs> people can't really deal with it when you're uh, having some mystical spiritual experience and just need to find the right audience so yeah maybe yeah people i was on holiday with weren't the right audience at at that particular time or maybe i just i hadn't got my sermon down yet it got to the last day of the holiday i think that last night or two i'd not slept at all or maybe had like a one or two hours sleep here or there but i just you know sleep deprivation in itself can cause yeah like you know, experiences like yeah well like i mean i remember that experience from the first like couple of times i did an all-nighter yeah a friend whose parents were away we'd stayed up all night and he had a dog who would just be around and would come and sit in the corner like whilst we were chatting next day I went to a skate park and I kept like thinking I could see the dog out the corner of my eye and then turn around and dog wasn't there. Shadow dog. Yeah, shadow dog. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an experience that is available to most of us, I think. (laughs) The general public. Yeah. Yeah, For free as well. Yeah. No drugs necessarily. No drugs. Yeah. Just stay up all night or a couple of nights, you know, see what happens. You've got that sleep deprivation, you've got booze, you've got... Rock music. Rock music. (laughs) Conflict. Relationship. Spanish culture. Spanish culture. Yeah. Sex on the beach. You've got all that going on and this kind of weird mix of emotions and I think relationships are something I've always found quite confusing to navigate and back then being like fairly naive, like maybe the second serious girlfriend. So you don't really know what you're supposed to do when there's like a conflict and yeah, communication breaks down and you know how to express what you're thinking and feeling or how to respond to whatever they say. And that in itself is a bit of a minefield. You add the spiritual ideas and the lack of sleep. Hell of a cocktail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that anyone in the same situation would have experienced the same things that I did, but I think anyone in that situation would have reacted in, uh, yeah, probably a less than normal, reasonable way. Yeah, but how, you, how you reacted is acceptable, reasonable, <laughs> normal. Isn't it? That's Is how it? it happens for... Yeah, well, if everyone's <laughs> reacting like that, which seems to be yeah. quite common, it's yeah. normal, isn't it? Well, it's a normal response. Maybe so. It was a normal response to whatever was going on at the time. Yeah, there's the catchphrase, normal response to abnormal circumstances. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah. Good one for the theme wall. So did you get back on the plane or what? I got back on the plane. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these little details are quite blurry i'm not sure if i phoned my mum or if they phoned my mum or if my mum phoned me i think at some point i spoke to my mum or my dad maybe both and 
made them aware there was like a problem. They were like worried that they wouldn't get me back on the plane. But we got there. I got on the plane and that in itself was another weird spiritual multi-layered experience that had a certain significance. But we got there, got home. What, what, what was the experience? <laughs> I can't quite go into that yet. But that'll have to wait until we loop back around. Okay, okay. You, you know what you're doing then. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> so you got back. Got back. Yeah. Rose put me on the train. She was pretty distressed by the state I was in. Like, I think she was, like, panicking and possibly in tears, like, worried that I was going to get home. And I I was on the train for a while with my luggage. I'd, I got off a few times because the weird, like, train s- signals announcements were speaking to me. And yeah? <laughs> yeah. And Anything good? Or just oh, the next know. station? Oh fuck! Like <laughs> you don't want to say I it. I don't. I'm not really sure. Like it, yeah. I, I've got more of a feeling than a articulation of like what was said. But it didn't feel safe. Whatever it was, it's like this is dangerous. Like you should probably get off of this train. Yeah, maybe I got off a couple of times. Um, then was like kind of going on the railway bridge to either side of the track. And the, when the trains came, I, like I know they do pass like pretty fast. Mm. You, you've got to be aware and you, you've got to have your wits about you a bit when you're on a train platform. But in, in this state, like that heightened senses, it was it was like a flash. It was like a rocket or something. Or the, the trains themselves felt like presences, like like they were conscious or being kind of controlled by something. I don't know. It like really kind of threatening. So, yeah, I was off at one of these, like, mini stations and freaked out by the trains for a bit. Got back on a train that stopped, made it as far as Lansing, which is, like, two stops away from Worthing, where I would have been getting off to go home. And then got it in my head, no, I'm probably not going to get back on a train. I'll go down to the level crossing, wandering around back and forth across the level crossing. The signal lights were maybe significant there's a clear sky so there were stars and the stars were like looking at me (laughs) is how it felt at some point the police like twigged that there was someone not too well by the level crossing so they came and yeah picked me up and they're like oh you're right mate and i think yeah one of them it's a bit like not exactly good cop bad cop but like there's a woman and she was kind of really nice and understanding and the bloke was like a bit I'll pull yourself together, mate. I think they kind of kept me there, stayed with me, called my parents who then came and picked me up. I think that's how it happened. Again, it's those details that aren't like that clear. My parents took me home to Worthing. Maybe I went to sleep, maybe I didn't. Have you played Final Fantasy VII? Only a little bit when I was way younger. Well, so Sephiroth, the, the main like bad guy, he's this like super soldier throughout the game that everyone looks up to. And then he finds some stuff out about himself he gets told by a scientist he's like oh what's what's that but my mother's name is Genova what does that mean like and then he goes into this library and he's uh reading all these old books he stays there for like 10 days or reading unceasingly and then he comes out and he's like he's found the truth and he's that's when he turns into like this big evil guy with he's gonna and I destroy the world or something and recreate it in his image. Is that what you were doing? That's kind of how I remember the those few days at home. I was just like kind of in my room 
continuing with this spiritual discovery made a complete tip out of my room like I'm usually quite an orderly person but I'd thrown everything on the floor like I had a sharpie pen and I was like drawing on my bed sheets and what were you drawing I just like weird patterns like kind of spirals and triangles and stuff that all seemed very significant at the time I'm sure but I don't know what it would mean now so yeah just basically continuing that whatever line of thought I was going down and my parents got GP round to see me apparently he was like oh yeah this looks like psychosis <laughs> Classic. probably getting assessed by yeah. you know mental health professional so they took me to Green Acres which was the name of the uh, community mental health centre in Worthing and do, you went willingly send me yeah it's weird because the like, Worthing Hospital is right by Worthing Skate Park which is like you know, a place where I frequented as a teenager and then the mental health centre is like at the back of that so again I need my dad here to give a more objective view of the details but I think they, they'd taken me there and I'd like ran away into the park then my dad had like chased after me and be like come back and I was like protesting in a certain way I got a bit spooked by the mental health centre by like the feel of that building yeah I was like, no, that's, I don't think I want to go in there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But they got me in there in the end and took me and see one of the consultant psychiatrists who ended up being my consultant through my whole journey, basically, um, which was quite good. Like, I don't think it really happens like that no. anymore. You normally have, like, one psychiatrist if you're in hospital and then another one when you... Yeah, I think I had, like, three psychiatrists mm. when I was in one hospital. But yeah, they got me in to see the psychiatrist and there were a bunch of other people in the room. And I was, so I, I'd got a sense of him as being like bad. Like it, I, by this point, I could see people's auras like around their, their heads and mm. there were different colours and the colours would mean certain things. And I got a bad feeling from his aura, basically. Um, yeah, bad juju. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bad vibes. Yeah, bad vibes. Okay got spooked out i think i was standing in the middle of the room like doing all these like kind of weird hand gestures to try and like fight back his evil mental energy and he was just kind of watching me and listening and some people were asking questions and maybe i was responding but they were just kind of crowded around me whilst i was doing my psychotic thing somehow they got me up to the hospital there i stayed for the next like 10 days gave me some you ever have that like olanzapine that dissolves on your tongue Oh, ah. that's quite nice. Tastes quite sweet, really. They do that so they know that you've taken it, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Just they give you that when they're not sure they can convince you to swallow a pill willingly. Oh. It's a bit less harsh, harsh than injecting someone forcibly. So yeah, they got some medication in me. It knocked me out for like probably twelve hours or so. I don't, I don't know. Went to sleep, and when I woke up, it was weird. Like my parents came to visit me the next day and said something like oh it was all a joke <laughs> like, yeah 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 I'm, I'm all right now and just that amount of sleep was enough to make me behave kind of normally again and they were a bit spun out by that the stuff was all still going on in my head and it it didn't stay that way i was there for 10 days to start with were you all right being in there did you did you want to get out or i was a bit freaked out by it all yeah. but it was quite noisy and this was 2006, before the smoking ban fully came into force as well. So there was a smoking room. That was... Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back the good old days. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm a smoker, but I quite liked going in there and watching the TV in there. It just felt like a good sort of sociable place to be. There were nice 
gardens there like the food was pretty good and it, again like I thought I was hearing voices at that point like maybe I was hearing one or two some of the noises that I thought were just in my head turned out just to be other patients like making a noise there was this woman screaming or being like like saying like some kind of gibberish quite loudly and I was like ah there's this kind of like evil queen in my in my head kind yeah. of shouting at me uh, I went out into the common area I suddenly was like oh the voice is coming from her and she's just this like old distressed lady oh that was quite transformative in a way it's like oh okay so there's these weren't voices in my head they're just like real people struggling the same as I am. Um, Reassuring. Yeah, 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 I think so. There was some, like most of the staff I got on quite well with and the, the weird like mystical connections carried on. Like there were people with the same name as friends that I'd known. That's a classic. Yeah. That's a tick box one. And they even kind of looked a little bit similar, like had a similar kind of style, long hair, for example, similar kind of like mannerisms. So that was pretty odd. What did you think of that at the time? Did you think they were there like, to test you or anything? Maybe. <laughs> that's but, what I had. But these... <laughs> that's cool. Like, were they, are these people just here with the same names as people yeah. I know just to, to yeah, judge whether I notice and whether or not I am sane or not? And then the fact that I do notice... I can see means that. you are crazy, right? Mm. Mm. Well, I, I think I told them, oh, yeah, you're, you're so-and-so from my childhood. And they'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not, but no. But the nurses and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I think yeah. so. They're, they're quite That's like, good. Yeah, they weren't too alarmed by it. But no, it's, it, it felt a little bit like, I don't know, guardian angels in a way or something. People that I'd fallen out with and lost touch with, but they were there watching over me, maybe, giving their support. I mainly took quite a positive take on most of it. Mainly good people working on those units. This was my experience at the time. Yeah, I think most of the people that work in mental health, whilst I don't believe in good people, mm. they have good intentions. No. Yeah. Bad yeah. ideas, good intentions. Yeah, but... yeah. Well-meaning and capable of little acts of kindness, yeah, which yeah. make a world of difference, I think. As long as there's no splitting in the team. <laughs> so where do we go next? The escape. Uh, well, I escaped in the, the way that you're supposed to escape. I was discharged after this short admission. I think I'd been brought in on a 136, section 136. Classic. So, yeah, so I guess probably the police were involved. Yeah, maybe I ran away after I saw the psychiatrist at the mental health centre and the police had to bring me in. I don't know. I'll just give like the little overview of, of that part of the story and then we'll start looping back around, I think. All right. So yeah, came home after 10 days. I'd seemed to have improved a lot but I went back home to my environment and just went back into my little mystical sphere of discovery and confusion and I'd be like kind of lining things up on the table like making little patterns to harness the uh, energy or flow of uh, maybe like feng shui maybe it's something like that without consciously thinking about that that's like what I did with with cocoa pops Oh, yeah? I told that oh, one on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned that where you made some kind of amazing <laughs> art piece with Cocoa Fox. Yeah, but no one else realised yeah. it was an amazing masterpiece. <laughs> what did it look like? What Just looked like a mess. It? Yeah? Yeah. That's a masterpiece in itself. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. To uh, a certain group of art critics. Did you take a photo? No, I filmed it. Okay. I think, yeah. You still got the footage? Yeah, somewhere, yeah. Have you looked back at it? Yeah. How does it look? Uh, it just looks like a mess, basically. Yeah. just looks like just smashed up a kitchen. Mm. Which essentially I did, but yeah. it was more measured than your average smash up. 
Okay, yeah. It was calculated, but people don't see that. Pearls before swine. Just need to find the right audience. I think maybe some types of art can't be captured, really. Sometimes art's just like a bang in the moment and it's lost on anyone else at any other time. Like psychosis. Yeah. 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 It's like the brain's ultimate masterpiece. Yeah. Wow. It's where art just becomes reality, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? That's, yeah, I'd do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. That's not tangent, though. Yeah, that's not tangent too much. Yeah. Okay. So where are we? So I was discharged after like 10 days, went back home. This must have been like early August at this kind of stage. I think the holiday was in July. Um, uh, I don't know how long I was out of hospital for, but it kind of been very long, like a week or two at best, but until I'd spiraled to the point where I was detainable again. Went back in on a section two, so I was there for like, and they were considering whether I might end up on a section three, which is the treatment order where you can be kept there against your will for up to six months and be given treatment without you having to consent to it because it's been identified that you have a mental health condition which requires treatment. If and if that doesn't happen, there's going to be significant risk to that person's well-being or the well-being of people around them. But it didn't quite get to that stage. I was just on a section two and then an informal patient for a while. So still in hospital, but complying with the treatment. What were you thinking this whole time then? I was just taking it as it comes, really. It yeah. was all... You weren't pissed off? I didn't like having that restriction on my movement. Like, it's, it's pretty boring in hospital to a degree. But again, it's, I think it's also what you make of it. Like, I know you said about it'd be good if there were more activities in hospitals, but... This was 2006, like Labour was still in power. <laughs> before <laughs> but, the crash. Yeah, there, there was not not such a, yeah, before the crash, yeah, true. Yeah. There were more beds, I think, broadly speaking. The wards were mixed as well. It wasn't separated into adult and older peoples, I think. Need a fact checker. Yeah, no, we, we haven't got that. that. No, we, we don't, don't need that. that. Yeah. There are no facts here. <laughs> no, there are only perspectives. But yeah, like, so it was an all right environment to be in. Um, chatted a lot to my peers, my fellow patients, um, met some good people, like, yeah, befriended a couple who were a bit more old school and gave me some of their words of wisdom, I suppose. Remember any? Um, I remember talking to one guy about like smoking cannabis and he was like, oh yeah, I used to smoke it when I was young, it's, but I can't do it anymore. I was at the station with my mate a year ago, he offered me his joint and I was like, okay, I took like one little coat, one, one little toke and I was high as a kite straight away and I was suddenly all over the place and I was thinking about jumping in front of the train and it's like, yeah, just, just don't touch it, like it's not worth it. I think that was his word of wisdom. Yeah. Drugs are bad. <laughs> Maybe. Or drugs don't work for everyone that's or, why they gotta get the weed regulated so yeah that would solve a lot of problems <laughs> i think to a degree i tried to make the best of it there were times when i was like distressed and phone up my mum like upset like oh when's it gonna end when i'm gonna come home i'm gonna be crazy like this forever and it just yeah sometimes it would all dawn on me like the horrible reality of the situation i was in um and did you at the time you you think like you were crazy or were you still like uh, I'm on this journey. Well, a bit of both. I, I think in the couple of years leading up to this where I'd been struggling with some emotional difficulties, I'd, I'd had thoughts of like, yeah, maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, I'm probably crazy. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. I'm schizophrenic. You know, <laughs> like, I, I didn't really know what schizophrenic meant, but it just seemed like, yeah, that's probably me. Like, yeah. I've seen Donnie Darko. I, and the plot of the film there is he's on this kind of mystical journey to save the world, so... 
Did you have any of that then? Did you have any of the save the world thing? A little bit. Yeah. Like I, I didn't identify as Jesus or anything. But Did you have like a message? Everyone needs to know any of those classics? Yeah, probably. I wasn't that clear on what it was. I, I did feel like maybe I was destined to be some kind of saviour who would sort out the world, like lead us all into a new age of peace or... Yeah. And that's um, a nice thing to, yeah, to do, isn't it? It is, yeah, I think yeah. so. It's a good guiding principle yeah. to... Yeah, why not? Just can't get too carried away with it, it seems. No, yeah, when, when you get too like carried that. away with it, you start telling people that that's what you're doing. Like, they yeah. don't seem to like that. Unless there's other people around them that agree. Yeah, and, and they all agree that it's God's work. So yeah, I had some of that stuff. And I think it was September that I was finally discharged back to the community. Early intervention and psychosis had got involved at that point and they were taking the handle on my, my care. And they were great, actually. They worked with me to make like a relapse prevention plan and draw a timeline of what had happened, like what were the major stress factors. They had these like flashcards so that you don't necessarily have to come up with all the ideas. You just pick the ones that are relevant to you. Like, And I did, did you have that kind of stuff? Right? I think they wanted me to do it. But all right, like, but nah. you were like not into that. <laughs> I'm not into that. Yeah. Like the uh, one thing, you know, they do the care plan thing and it's like triggers. Yeah. And the first time I met them, they were like, what are your triggers? And I was just not into talking to them or allowing them to help me in any way, shape or form. Mm. And I said, um, overwhelming ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, anything else? That's it. (laughs) And then I think it's like four years later, they were like, do you remember when you... You, you told us that. I was like, yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> That's good. I think that was a lot because what, what was going on for me is that no one, no one seems to understand. Mm. I'm just on a higher level, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm up here. You're all down there yeah. still. You got some catching up to do. Yeah, you're all ignorant. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure I had that kind of element of things I was saying and ways I was behaving as well. So for me, like at least before I came into hospital and got presented with this like medicalized illness view which i had to begrudgingly get on board with if i wanted to ever go home again um yeah and there's yeah, the cat. A friendly cat oh she'll let it in um do you want to have a break yeah mate in in a minute in a minute just let the cat suffer for a bit <laughs> the cat knows we're here yeah it was it'll wait I feel kind of bad doing this so i just want to wrap up this point <laughs> go on then go on then so yeah i was on that higher level and And it was very much like I've woken up to something that most people don't experience and this is like a privilege and I'm going to make the most of this and it would be great if everyone could experience what I'm experiencing now. And maybe that was the message that I had to share with the world that there is a bit more to life than the material world we live in and if we all woke up to it, maybe the world would be a better place. Yeah, yeah, I was on that kind of vibe. I'd I'd gone over the edge. Yeah. You people need to... Yeah. Need to know about this edge. Yeah, and then jump off it with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a good pausing point, I think. Yeah, should we let the cat in? Yeah. You are a vegan, aren't you? I so. am. What I'm realising, again, at the moment, I think, is that there are, there are places where... Psychotic type thinking are useful and encouraged and allowed. Um, Such as where? 
certain spiritual circles are probably one not that i'm involved in any kind of organized another disclaimer practice so yeah. <laughs> creativity i think yeah. is creative ideas come from the same place as yeah. psychosis yeah i think so me. too but you can only have creative in like art gallery but when you walk outside the cinema it's over right <laughs> Yeah, you can't just make an art piece of Cocoa Pops on no. the side of the street. No. It has to be in a contained yeah. place. Same with the safe spirituality. It has to be safe and secure within yeah. the walls of the church. And yeah. then you... Or the compound. Or the compound. Yeah. Mm. Where are we going? Containment. <laughs> we're going to go back. We're going to... We're going... They're giving us a destination. Yeah. You know where we're going then. Um, You're the driver of this car. Yeah, I suppose... Let's go back to 2005, like the, that, the first proto-psychosis. That's a good term. Let's use my... Some of this starts with the interplay of smoking cannabis and states of emotional distress. So I first smoked cannabis when I was like 14, maybe 13, I don't know, like high school. That kind of typical rebellious period where you... Well, I, I don't know what school was like for you, but for me... <laughs> shit <laughs> yeah yeah just dread every day dread. Yeah. Mm. for me in first school and middle school i had the identity as being one of the smart kids and i didn't really have much else outside of that like i wasn't very good at sports i wasn't particularly extroverted or sociable i had like a few close friends who enjoyed playing like video games with and i i'd have a go at sports i just wasn't that great at it really academically above average or picked out as being someone with a lot of potential whatever that means um and but i kind of struggled with some of the social aspects of school perhaps i wasn't a cool kid even the cool kids aren't really no cool kids they just know how to appear yeah like just stand with the right people yeah and say the right things at the right time and mm. they have a feel for banter and <laughs> wear the right clothes enough money to stay ahead with the trends mm. so when i got to high school towards the end of middle school i'd like dye my hair blonde like did the m&m flick Thing yeah. maybe <laughs> and yeah so that was kind of my flirtations with rebellion and trying something different but yeah and I, I got to got to high school and it's like you know I can't just carry on like this I'm not gonna get anywhere in life if all I am is just a smart kid who just does what the teachers and the parents want them to do yeah like you know I can get good marks but I'm not gonna be happy if that's all I do like I, I gotta make a name for myself I gotta be like I gotta be someone more how did that work out? I think year eight and year nine, I started hanging around with some of the cool or <laughs> like naughty kids. Yeah. The ones that were banned with the te- teachers, like get in trouble, like have a laugh, like disrupt the lesson. Became like friendly with a couple of those guys. And I think that's how I first started smoking a bit of weed. Or, well, not weed at that point, it was hash. And But I was still in that kind of transition period between like I'm trying to be cool, but Everyone knows I'm really just like a smart kid trying to be cool. So it wasn't until towards the end of year nine when I started learning guitar. Oh yeah, and I've been skateboarding at that point as well. So I was starting to develop a couple of skills which were accepted and encouraged by my peer group. Um, <laughs> oh man, did you ever skate? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Not very well, but yeah. Mm, same here, I was never brilliant at that. Somewhere in year nine, I'd seen these older boys a couple of years above doing a band practice at the youth club where we used to go and hang out i was like that looks cool that's what i want to do like um i want to learn to play guitar 
being a band and that's the identity that I'm going to craft for myself. It's like... Well, this sounds really calculated. (laughs) Was it it at the time? Well, I... Is this just hindsight? Maybe. Maybe this is me kind of projecting back on myself. But no, I I do... Seem really organised. I guess I've probably always been quite clear about when I want to do something, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll work towards it kind of thing. And, And that's what it was like in that moment seeing older cool kids wearing their alternative grungy clothes playing in a band I was like yes that's for me I can do that uh, and so I did I got like some guitar lessons at school which was good for more than one reason because it was in school hours just with a like private guitar teacher that came in and you just get taken out of class for half an hour to go and learn guitar started learning some Nirvana and mm. Red Hot Chili Peppers everyone starts with the Nirvana yeah, yeah. <laughs> smells like teen spirit riff which yeah. is the first thing that everyone seems to learn me and my best friend wait what's he called <laughs> George, um, at the time, he was on board with this idea as well. So he decided he was going to learn the guitar as well. We found a couple of guys who were looking to form a band that played bass and drums. So we started having a practice with them. Some other kids who we didn't really know, but I think they had a bit of a reputation. Older kids who skated and were a bit rebellious. They came into our band practice one day and they're like, well, you guys are good, like, to... To me and my mate yeah. who were learning guitar. So these guys were look at my key again. But <laughs> <laughs> you're doing it like a cast list. <laughs> yeah. Well there's a lot of characters involved and I might have to talk about a few people for this to make sense. So um we're gonna call him Beckham. He's a bassist. And there was this other guy who didn't really end up staying in the band, but he played drums. So they took us out of this band that we'd started, rescued us from that, because these guys weren't really that cool. I feel kind of bad saying that, but it's... The guys who found us were just... Cooler. They they were where we needed to be at the time. Uh, And they they were into, like, no effects. Oh, so they were cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they were into all the skate punk, so they got us into that. So we were at this this nice little place where both learned a bit of guitar to the point where we could learn songs and play them fairly well but we we'd not been exposed to that much music yet like other than just what comes on mtv2 now they were like yeah stop listening to that shit (laughs) yeah you want some no effects you want some strung out you want afi um yeah so that's what we started learning together and we there were school talent shows and battle of the bands that they had every i don't know couple of times a yeah, or like once a term, something like that. So our little band that we put together, we'd play those, and they, those would be our like early gigs, even though they weren't like proper gigs, but there was something to work towards and perform. Yeah, so Notes for a Name song, Ensign song, Good Riddance song, that was our first like, talent show, yeah. like, the band's thing. After that, I think we were just hooked. We are like, yes, this is what we want to do. Let's be a band. Let's work towards that as our like, main thing. So there were four of us in this band and we were like the core four went for a couple of singers thanks for nothing that was the <laughs> band name yeah no, that's a pretty good name yeah it's good within our little clique we all felt like we got it and we were special to a degree we were crafting like good music and people outside of it were subject to all of our like judgment and criticism it's an interesting way to be and but as we got more into hardcore yeah, because we were always a hardcore band. There's a couple of songs on that memory stick, actually. Yeah. For nothing. Yeah. 
Oh, you were really organised then. You were recording it and stuff. How And you were doing weed at the same time or what? <laughs> well, yeah, weed was like an occasional thing. Whenever it was summer, there'd be a Friday night or Saturday night beach party and hanging out at the skate park. Inevitably, there'd be someone with some weed or some booze. And does this all feed into the psychosis? Yeah, to a degree. Yeah. Uh, maybe I need to sort of jump forward a bit. I'm just kind of painting the scene of like what I grew up in. So by age 16, I think we'd made our, our EP recording. And by that point, we we're playing shows in like Littlehampton, sometimes in Brighton. People were quite into what we were doing. They're like, oh, yeah, because we, we had a bunch of friends from school and that that were excited by it. And they'd come out and we put on a couple of shows at Worthen Leisure Centre where my dad worked. And we'd get the whole crew from the skate park and from school to come along and they'd like mosh and everyone would have a laugh. And some of those people would follow us around to like Littlehampton or Brighton and promoters obviously like it when there's people that come to their shows it felt like we had potential and it was a a time when punk was like in in brighton and it was like the shared dream that we were gonna make this band a thing and maybe be able to do that for a living one day that's what we're working towards and so me and george went to northbrook college to study music technology so i was very much suddenly out of my depth out of my comfort zone trying to do the best I could but not very confident in what I was doing I feel um, like we're building up to something big maybe I, yeah I guess I'd say it's, it's like when you read a Stephen King book that it always feels like it's building up to something but the ending's never usually that satisfying just like appreciate the journey Stephen King I hope he doesn't listen <laughs> <laughs> no um so during that little depressive patch that autumn of 2004 started reading my first Stephen King book, which I got for my birthday, which was Insomnia. In, in Insomnia, there's like this old gent and you know, Ralph, I think his name is, the central character, and then Lois is his friend. And they, yeah, so Ralph gets insomnia and he starts having, well, you'd call it psychosis, I suppose. Like it has that kind of feel to it. Like he starts experiencing extrasensory perceptions, like seeing things seeing little characters, start seeing people's auras. So that, you know, then manifested in my experiences. I think Stephen King's tapping into something that we tap into. You think he's been over the edge? Yeah, well, maybe he he goes over the edge in that contained, accepted (laughs) way of writing fiction. Mm. So you became the guy from this book or what? Mm, Not exactly. So you just took it on board? Yeah, well... One in the chamber. (laughs) I think when I'm in that... Depression, <laughs> yeah. In that depression state, I um, I become very self-reflective, but also very observant of things around me. I yeah. take things in that aren't, I don't necessarily realise the significance of at the time, but that then maybe make sense later down the line. Or well, that's seemed to be what happened then. So I read this book, Insomnia, started to experience insomnia a little bit. That winter, like... Particularly that September, I remember as being like particularly horrible, like, oh God, I didn't realise it was possible to feel like this, like this depressed and hopeless and not being able to articulate it or express it creatively. It's just grim. Um, and I had a job, I worked at Perfect Pizza in Worthing and I remember talking to some of my colleagues there, like I was struggling and they were like, oh, you know, hang in there, you'll, you'll be all right, like you're doing good, you're, you're getting by. Your pizza's perfect. Still. Yeah, your pizza's yeah. still making a good pizza. Yeah. Hang on to that. 
And that's where I met my good friend Ben. So I can name him because he's still like, you know, one of my best friends. Um, and he stuck with me through all of this weird shit. So yeah, good on Ben. Yeah, good on Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, Ben. He, so we'd met at Perfect Pizza. We started hanging out outside of work as well. He was only there for like a few weeks after I joined before he quit because he didn't really need the money and he couldn't be our <laughs> he he started I think working like one one day a week or two days a week and it's he didn't really like it so it's like oh can I just do like you know a few hours a week and they're like oh, okay it's like can I just do one hour a week <laughs> just gradually withdrawing from it and just come down on his moped and hang out with me we'd just mess around in the back room pretend to be washing up when we weren't really listen to music i played in my band cd it's like whoa you're you're really good at guitar you should be in my band and so yeah we we made a little connection there and started hanging out outside of work and smoking a bit of weed together um oh sorry i just outed ben oh ben people drug addict (laughs) (laughs) his career's ruined yeah yeah, good luck being a stand-up comedian and whatever else you want to do. Oh, then that's... They're all doing that. Yeah, they are, yeah. And he's he's doing really well at it, actually. Ben was cool. We were hanging out. During this time... So we're still doing band stuff. We're still kind of working on music a bit, off and on. I wasn't feeling very creative in myself. I was like, oh, you know, maybe this field isn't for me. I don't think I'm the right kind of personality to succeed in business and... The business of music. <sighs> yeah. It was February, I think, my mood started to lift and actually got through it like a patch of insomnia, um, just kind of waking up or not falling asleep and just thinking things over and then just starting to click into place where I start to feel good about the world again, like, oh, you know, maybe I make things work the way that I want them to. And that's when my mood started to go a little too high, like that kind of March or April. It all came to a head in May. It was probably building up for a month or two before that, at least. Still been smoking weed off and on. I like how we've gone from calling it cannabis to weed. Yeah, well, (laughs) it was weed by that point. Like, no, when in the early days when I was still in school, it was it was hash. It was cannabis. But, Did you call it cannabis at the time? Were you like, let's go and do some cannabis, boys? <laughs> some cannabis. Uh, yeah. Probably just call it hash. Like, yeah, smoke some hash, man. Could have been Zoom. worse. Could have been doing crack. Yeah, could have yeah. been far worse. Yeah, when Millie broke up with me, I coped with that by going out more, getting drunk, smoking some weed, trying to escape from it. And at that point, my friends kind of stepped in after a while and they're like you know i don't think you should be smoking this it's starting to have a bad effect on you acting a bit differently we're a bit worried about you i was like okay yeah I'll... you seem like don't really know. responsible friends for yeah. their age <laughs> yeah to, yeah to a degree like at, at that level they they did a pretty good job i think they yeah i, I guess it comes back to what i was saying before about it being an in-group we looked after our own as we we're getting older and into more aggressive music, maybe, where there's, you know, with hardcore, there's very much like a fuck you vibe to everything and just, you know, hoods up, knives out, we're going to take you down. Did you did you have knives? No. Uh-huh. Just metaphorical ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was like the cool thing that everyone was getting into. We were always more like a melodic hardcore band, a bit kind of metallic guitar-wise, but 
emo sometimes but we were always kind of conflicted about whether we wanted to be a punk band or a hardcore band or an emotional band and the overall vibe in the friend group was everyone was getting more into hardcore and like the macho like brutal type stuff yeah um, <laughs> that's never been my thing nah I'm wearing a Bent Life hoodie and they're like a, they're that kind of band like a newer band some bands like, I really like when it's that like brutal stuff but it's it's not completely my thing I have to be in the right mood for it I find so the band that we were in we'd sort of fallen out with a singer we didn't think he was going to be in the band anymore yeah the bassist and drummer had fallen out with him particularly there was a bit of an ego clash between him and the drummer I remember as well yeah the drummer the drummer what am I calling him? <laughs> He's pretty important. Lawrence. Okay, Lawrence. He's again someone who I've had chats with since all this went down and I've not seen him in a good few years now, but probably if I bumped into him, we could have a chat and just talk about music and it'd be all right. He's definitely like an artist. He he gets music and he, he always had like the vision and he dropped out of school, managed to convince his mum that it was better for him not to go back to school in like year 11. And I don't know, he, yeah, he worked in a pizza shop as well. A rival? A rival Domino's, pizza shop? Domino's. Oh, the big one. Yeah. <sighs> Sell out. <laughs> I don't know if he did at the time. It might have been, uh, some of them worked in Papa John's for a while as well, like in Westworth. So you're all working at the pizza shops? More or less. You're yeah. running the pizza? Yeah, we, we were the pizza cartel. Yeah. Pizza and melodic hardcore uh, mafia. Yeah, so if, if you had pizza in Worthing between like 2004 2005 no matter what chain you went to you probably had a pizza made by one of us at some point if you did and you're listening to this get in touch (laughs) (laughs) we want to hear from you yeah how's my pizza making right but we digress again yeah well how far are we through how far are we through we're like percentage wise do you think like 30 30 percent Shit. Yes. Let's try and hurry this through. Let's just summarise this bit. You've got... Down the, down the coffee. The <laughs> yeah. A bit Irish it up. Maybe that'll help. Right, so hardcore. We're into hardcore. Everyone's getting all macho, particularly like one guy. Um, we're going to call him Mac or Matt. I don't know. Matt. Uh, call him Mac. Mac. That's yeah. cool, yeah. Mac's good. Yeah. We'll call him Mac. So he's like... He always had a shaved head, skinhead. That was his thing. When we first met him and hung out at skate park together, he was into no effects and like the vandals, like that kind of jokey punk along with the rest of us. But then as we started getting older, he then got purely into like hate breed and (laughs) such a funny name for it, isn't it? Bury your dead. Um, That's what that's what I do. Yeah. And I think he claimed straight edge at some point and then broke it. Yeah, but he was very much into like the macho, tough guy side of hardcore. So him and Chesney and a couple of other guys started a hardcore band. Yeah, that became a bit of a rivalry. Like they were doing their thing. I had kind of fallen out with them. Like some other people within the circle of friends had fallen out with them as well. There were these little splinters of the group rivalries emerging and a lot of drama we had a, a website for thanks for nothing like yeah a natural website yeah well thanks for nothing.tk it was a free webs website oh i remember that yeah you could get those like free domain names yeah i got in trouble days. at school for making a, a website about a girl who i didn't like at school <laughs> so i just made this website it's called her name is a bitch 
tk <laughs> and on the website i just wrote this horrible stuff about that. that's good and then her dad complained to the school um, and then made the uh the cert whoever was hosting it uh, take it down which you you're know. a pioneer in cyberbullying yeah yeah I was, yeah yeah i was yeah <laughs> wow, wow. I put that on my cv yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good yeah well there was an element of that going on because we, we had this website and we had a message board like provided by some other free site and that board man like some of the funniest like moments of like drama and damn like so okay we'll call him scott made some like uh like ms paint early memes like, yeah i guess nowadays they'd be memes but of like uh mac got a photo of him and added like a cock with ms paint like coming in his mouth original yeah <laughs> classic so and that pissed him off and we managed to like trace the ip addresses to figure out who was um yeah posting this shit oh. and then yeah we we're like oh we've revealed it it was you it's you and then he comes out it's like yeah it was me yeah i did it yeah i'd do it again <laughs> with all that going on and then so i'd been depressed and not really part of this in any active way once i came out of that depression and suddenly was feeling better and all of a sudden i was no longer an introvert i'd become an extrovert and i was really kind of engaged and infused and like witty and interested in socializing and i was like ah oh, i found myself like whatever that means and but then i was acting in a way that wasn't how my friends were used to seeing me so that led to points of tension i guess I was aware of that on some level, but I went off and made friends with some other people who I then smoked weed with. I started going out with a girl, we'll call her Eve, um, and we'd smoke weed together and just like have a nice little dreamy time. All the while, like not really keeping in touch with my core friends and there being this kind of drama escalating that I was wrapping myself up in because I was like, oh, you guys are into hardcore, you don't really like the music, you're just in it for the fashion, you know, you just buy a band t-shirt instead of an album, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just posers, like, you know, you'll be into something else, like, this time next year, and, yeah, they didn't take too kindly to that, so they're like, you're the enemy, yeah, you're going down, you disrespect us, like, getting into really? that hardcore vibe. <laughs> so I'd not really had contact with, like, George and Lawrence and Beckham, like, my best friends, and, and then at a certain point, I spoke to them. They're like, you know, you're. We don't like the way you're being. You need to sort it out. And I was like, oh wow, okay. And my other friend uh, Rob, he was like, you need to listen to the people who know you. Like, listen to what they're saying. Like, stop deluding yourself. You're you're not really connected to reality here. Like, we're we're worried about you again, or just you're not yourself. Like, you say you found yourself, but you're not acting like yourself. Which culminated in them being like, you know, we can't deal with you anymore. We don't want to know you. We, we don't want to be your friend yeah just burn that burn rejection just like fuck off and that came from all of them like all of my main friends and I didn't take that too well I so this is like the culmination of this bit I was out drinking with Eve and some of her friends this was maybe like a week or a few days after they'd turned around and said no we don't want to know you anymore they were all, it was another one of those situations where someone's parents are away for the weekend. And so everyone stays there and chills out and has drinks. So they were there together and I was out in Worthing drinking 
semi-distraught but still feeling powerful enough to be like nah fuck you like you can't treat me like this kind of thing so i went around to george's house where they're all staying and this included ben actually my friend ben he was he'd got in touch with them because he'd been hanging out with me and he'd started to be worried about me as well so he'd gone around to try and figure it out with them like understand what was going on so it was ben lawrence mac beckham george and Rob, all their fake names. They were there at George's house while his parents were away. I went around there having drunk like half a bottle of gin and some Red Bull. I think I took a piss on the front of the house to start with. <laughs> um, this is this is going to get good. One of them came out and was like, "Fuck you! You can't do that." Cl- like, clean up the piss. Maybe I, I, I don't know. It's just too drunk to really understand what was going on at this point and i think it was on my bike so i rode off on my bike you managed to piss on your bike well i had my bike with me i probably left it in the driveway oh. then while i went and pissed on the front of the house on the actual house on the actual house like on the front door front wall while they were there like one of them saw me and was like oi then i rode off and i came back and i like, picked up a brick and smashed it in the front the front door and it bounced off and like landed on the car as well, which I then got charged for. <laughs> My parents like footed the bill, I think. But they're all staying in there. So you got Lawrence, you got Mac, who are big guys, like bigger than me, and like particularly assertive, extroverted. Mac, particularly, he's like fronting this hardcore band that's all about the macho, aggressive stuff. So they came out and along with everyone else, and those two just like beat the shit out of me, basically. Two on one? Yeah, two on one. Motherfuckers. It, and I'm like reeling, barely standing because I'm that drunk anyway. So I'd, I'm not in any position to fight back. I, I think I only took like one punch to like send me reeling and probably to the floor. Apparently I just started screaming at them and that really scared Ben. And Ben couldn't deal with seeing me for like a couple of months after that because he was scared of me for a little while. And then, so I'd gone down, they came and were kicking me. By the end of it, like, everyone was just yelling at them to stop and get off me. Were they, like, drunk or what? I don't know. Probably. Like, they might have been. Doesn't really matter. They they were pissed off enough at whatever had been going on and what I had done in that, that moment that... Just the only a little bit response. of piss, though. Well, a piss and a brick. It's a brick, really, that was the... Yeah, but it's not... Was it their door? It wasn't their door, but it was... Seems to be over the top. Door. Yeah, I, don't, I, I probably said some something. In any case, the police were called and they took me and my bike away in a van and I woke up in a cell. And the two guys who beat me up, they also spent the night in a cell, from what I understand. And from things that people have said to me since then, the policeman said to them, oh yeah, if I was in your situation, I would have done the same thing. Like, yeah, really? Like, <laughs> but yeah, like, so yeah, I would have beaten him up too. Um, oh God. So that's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> Long arm of the law. Yeah. It's funny because I was in that like elevated, extroverted, like everything is significant kind of manic state. So I woke up the next day and I was like, right, it's rain. Oh, I was I royally hung over and in pain. Like I had this like horrible uh, swollen eye and been battered around a bit. There's probably a photo of me or two somewhere where I'm looking a bit worse for wear. 
But like, I woke up and I accepted the breakfast that they gave me. And I remember one of the policemen saying, oh, he's actually a really nice guy. Like, you wouldn't think that... About you? Yeah, about me. Yeah. yeah. Like, I just had a chat to them and, yeah, they were quite good to me, really. Like, uh spoke to some kind of solicitor guy and he's like, oh, yeah, looking at your eye, that it's probably an ABH if, if you want to press charges. I was given, like, a caution, a reprimand. And after that, that was when I was like, okay, something's gone wrong here, so I'm just going to be straight-edged now. You are? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't drink again until the following New Year. So this was like early May. It's a good six months or so of just like no no drinking, no weed or whatever. What was that like? It was all right. Yeah. That summer was, despite the isolated and kind of lonely complicated situation I found myself in it wasn't a bad summer I still went out on my bike did loads of bike rides and went to shows and stuff carried on doing my own thing managed to finish off my music production year at college started putting on shows I put on do you remember the band Once Over Scar Punk Band or Scarcore quite big in Brighton for a while but I put them on in Worthing at the Leisure Centre along with some other like punk bands and that was quite a successful show and that actually sparked off like a run of shows at Worthing Leisure Centre. One of the once over guys was then like, oh yeah, I'm going to put some shows on here. And then like even the guys I fell out with, they started a new band without me. They played there at the Leisure Centre. And I went and saw them with Rose, my girlfriend, by the end of the summer. That was kind of weird, like watching them but not being part of them anymore they wrote a song about me where they named me really yeah i don't know if it's still available anywhere but the band was called youth and its burden this song is it's called like you're gonna die clown which is a happy gilmore quote yeah 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 where he has to go and like get his final surge to win it you're gonna die clown yeah um, what, 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 you were the clown? Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. What else did they say in the song? Yeah, I listened to it a few times. It, it wasn't particularly pleasant to listen to. Probably quite well written, if you like that sort of thing. Yeah, they were quite a good band. But it, it reached this climax. <laughs> you where, still, like, still say that? <laughs> yeah, I'm over it. Like, I, I'm doing my own thing. But they, yeah, in that song, it reaches this climax point where it's like breaks down. It's like, Simon! <laughs> I'm not going to say my full name because i want to retain some level of anonymity yeah. as well uh yeah i showed that to my mate tim who ended up being in a band with ben ben and tim and ricky we started a band called the almost orphans which are like a rockabilly punk kind of thing i showed that to tim and remember him being like whoa that's really harsh are you okay that kind of things and i was like whoa didn't really think about it like that it's always funny <laughs> I, so that was a significant point in my life and clearly a significant point in their lives. It's like a trauma for the whole group, really. Psychosis, none of us knew what that was or how you're supposed to respond to that. Yeah, but probably not like beat the shit out of them. Mm. Probably. There's not that many situations which are like, well, this no. is a good way to respond to something. Yeah, yeah. What, you forgive them? Forgive's a complicated <laughs> word. I don't resent them for it. I... Like, I'm not a violent person, really. I It would take quite a lot for me to attack someone else. Like, I did karate as a kid, so they teach you defence, self-defence, 
I can imagine being someone in their situation and how it might have looked from that perspective. Like if I was a different kind of person and someone had been acting out of line for a number of months and had been saying all this shit to me and I was kind of in that slightly altered higher place where I was like, I've seen the light, you guys are all blind still and you need to you need to wake up or it's probably saying shit like that. And if if I'd had a slew of that for months at a time and I wasn't on board with it and then someone had come and been like aggressive violent completely disrespectful like you know maybe in the right combination of circumstances and if I'm supposed to be a tough guy who needs to look tough in front of my friends and not take shit and if I listen to hardcore all day which is like don't take shit you're gonna get shut down if you act out of line you can see how someone might respond violently to that situation I guess. What am I doing here? Am I victim blaming? Am I have I got Stockholm syndrome in some weird way? No, I guess you can't just carry the the hate, right? It's not. No, good. yeah, well, it doesn't help me. To, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, I wrote a song that's called like "Cheers for Everything." So, no flipping. Thanks for nothing. Upside down. I've, I've done my own kind of processing of what happened, and I've moved on. Yeah. Well. So, where do we go from now? Is, from is this now? the end of, of Act One or what? We've got to get back to 2006, to the where we started. Like Spain. Spain. Barcelona. Yeah. That's the yeah. destination. That's okay. like the real kind of... That's where shit got really real. So in that summer, I met someone else who would become important to me later in life uh what's her name <laughs> tamsin we're gonna call her tamsin so i met tamsin at a punk rock show like scar show in brighton and we hung out for a while and we're sort of dating i suppose like kiss and hold hands then she turned around and she's like oh yeah i think i identify as asexual and i was like oh i don't know what that is and then <laughs> um and then i met rose online okay that's a weird one actually a weird little connection so i went to see danzig i think a week or two before the brick incident yeah yeah it must have been quite soon before because just before this happened i'd like shaved my head and um like i'd had sort of medium length black hair before that yeah so i went to this danzig show on my own i think yeah i think on my own that's brave yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. okay. This is a little detail that's worth exploring because it's quite funny. So I'd met a girl there. We'll, we'll say that she is also called Rose. This is while I was still going out with Eve. But okay, they did have the same like actual name as right. the person I'm calling Rose. And like when you're in that kind of altered manic state, you have a certain charisma about you. Yeah. And so this you know, really attractive girl, like, we had a little connection in the in the venue and. Um, and then there was some like golf guy, like huge golf guy, and his golf girlfriend like near us. And they, this guy was like swinging his arms around. I was like, you know, you're really kind of harshing up my vibe here. Were they? Yeah. It's like, no, go away. <laughs> then at the end of the show, he'd been pissing me off all show, and they'd been kind of giving me evil. So I like went up behind him and like spat in his hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, without him knowing. Well, no, because he turned around and then like. It was really crowded, so I was kind of 
working my way back out through the crowd and he's like trying to get towards me like what the fuck did you spill on me and I managed to like kind of worm my way and yeah. escape from his view and hide so that was quite funny I got away with that one yeah met with this Rose girl again for a bit so then I'd been talking to some uh, girls on MySpace and this girl had the same name and looked a little bit like the girl I'd met. I was like, oh, was that you that I met at Danzig the other night? And she's like, oh, no, it wasn't me. That's a cool story, though, kind of thing. <laughs> so that's how we made a little connection, started talking online. And then, yeah, we ended up meeting in, in Reading. So, yeah, I did my own thing. I'd been rejected, cast out by my main group, but I'd managed to carry on connections with a couple of people, a couple of newer friends. And so, yeah, I went to Oxford. Was, I'd still been kind of seeing Tamsin every now and then in Brighton, but not kind of officially dating. Um, and then once me and Rose started seeing each other, just kind of drifted apart from Tamsin. Um, and then me and Rose started like dating officially. When the autumn came, the winter came, I lapsed back into depression, basically, like... I lost my confidence again. This is still before Barcelona? Still before Barcelona. So that autumn and winter together, I'd been kind of happy in this relationship. Like That was kind of my my one hope that was keeping me going, really. It was just the thought of seeing Rose. It was winter. It was dark. I wasn't able to just, like, ride my bike to Brighton and, like, mess around on the beach anymore. I just kind of withdrew into myself. I had this kind of crappy job as a kitchen porter at... EDF energy on a Saturday um so I did that didn't really like it I had to get up really early in the morning and got made redundant from that in the end managed to get through college all right but just wasn't really feeling life again for a while it was the same pattern again the next year so like March or April came around I started coming back to life and started kind of feeling that that energy again I would tell you I used to be a Morris dancer no, <laughs> you threw that one out. That's a curveball, isn't it? Um, what throughout this whole time you were a Morris dancer? Uh, well, you never mentioned it. Okay, so after the brick incident, oh uh, yeah. Okay, so me, George, and Beckham, my mum's friend, she was putting on a play basically, and she needed some musicians. So we had got involved to like learn some songs and play music like Lark Rise, like Lark Rise Candleford, but just Lark Rise was the production she was putting on. Uh, so then we fell out. So those guys were no longer part of it, but I carried on like as part of this little play band. Um, and some of the people, so she was friends with like the local Morris dancing troupe, something Village Morris. And some of them she'd like roped in to be in this play that she was putting on. So I was there in my role as a musician and I had a small like acting part in it. And yeah, Rose came to see the play when it was on. That was kind of cool. Yeah, so because these Morris dancers had been in it and I'd got friendly with them that kind of autumn, whatever, after it was over, they were like, oh, why don't you come along and join the Morris dancing side? And you couldn't resist. Yeah, and I was like, oh, well, not got much else going on. <laughs> that sounded like you'd sunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah depression it leads you to yeah. some strange places yeah like, it was good though that, that's another thing that early warning sign Morris dancer <laughs> put that down nowadays it would be yeah the moment I bust out my bells again and start wandering around in a tatty coat yep that's uh, 
probably a sign that something's up. At risk mental state, mm. Morris dancing. Mm. A lot of them are into their kind of pagan and spiritual oh, and nature worship. Oh, yeah, that, that's that. kind of um, that's the whole major part of the well, tradition. They don't really get that across in the the sort of image of well, them. Well, it depends. Depends like what events you go to because every May Day there's a traditional dance. I, I think that's the start of the summer season. Is yeah, May Day. It's the first of May. I've got no idea. Morris dancing. All I know is that it looks funny. Yeah, I don't actually know anything about it. Yeah, call yourself British. Yeah, didn't even know it was British. Oh, well, I think it's one of the last remaining quintessentially English traditions. Um, Probably don't call myself British either, to be honest. Probably shouldn't. Feel like a racist if I do that. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so as a Morris dancer, and this becomes relevant again. um, So that summer season, uh, I was doing my first performances because the way it works is they have like rehearsals all through the autumn and winter and then from like april may some of the events start happening and they like perform for the summer season on the summer solstice 21st of june there's always a big event they have a bonfire the whole side comes out and they get a bunch of other people walking up the up the hill do their traditional dances and stuff and that's like yeah welcoming the the sun and the summer so I remember going up for that and that being kind of fun. On the way back down the hill, we, we kind of passed by a pub, which is kind of where people park their cars before you walk up the hill. And there were some, like, lads outside the pub. One of them's just like, uh, Emo Morris dancer! Because I had <laughs> sort of medium-long hair. And I had these Morris dancing sticks in my hand. Yeah. And I just went up to him and was like, Yeah, I'm Emo. What of it? And, like, just back down. And... On the way home in the car, nothing came of, of that little incident. I think I just kind of started talking to one of them and they were just like, oh, yeah. They're intimidated there's, there's by a, the most dancing. Yeah, they yeah. were. Um, and my assertiveness in responding. On the, the way home in the car, I got a lift with my parents, which was pretty normal. It was before I learned to drive and that. So I remember talking to them, being like, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit like I did last year in May. Like it, I feel a bit like that again. No, okay, well, <laughs> I don't think they really knew what to do either. Like, um, cause I'd, I'd not had any. What should they have done? Eh, probably just what they did. Like, they didn't do anything wrong. Like, I'd, I'd not seen any professional about my mental health at this point. Like, after the brick thing, I might have seen the college counsellor for like one session, but I don't really remember yeah, much about that. They're always fun. Yeah, yeah. I remember the chairs and her hair more than anything about what was said these big kind of round chairs that were yellow that you kind of sat back in. I was like, mm, this is weird. And she had like a very sort of straight fringe and she was just quite nice. She listened. But yeah, so my parents, I, I don't remember strongly what they said, but they're like, okay, well, you know, mind how you go or whatever, probably just keep an eye on it and we're, we're here for you and just be careful. Then this holiday was booked. It had been booked for, I don't know how long. I'd, I'd met everyone who was going on the holiday Maybe we should give them names at this point. Yeah, if they got names. They have got names, yeah. yeah. They're important. It would be a shame to waste the cast list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've not covered everyone here, but it's not been relevant to talk about everyone. Um, so it's me and Rose, one couple. Fern and Josh, another couple. So Fern I met at the same time as Rose. Jimmy and Ellen, another couple. Nona and Will, another couple. 
Steve, who was a single guy, and then we'll call her Marissa, the single uh, girl. They didn't. They didn't want to just couple up. Just that that was kind of the joke. joke yeah. Yeah, yeah, like oh yeah, so four couples and two singles. Yeah, maybe they'll get together. But yeah, they were not a very good match for each other. They, I think they clashed a bit, if anything. Both quite strong personalities, maybe, but no. Okay, so it's it's where it's about to start getting juicy again. Yeah. I wonder if we need like a little pause just to yeah, just to summon and refill my cup. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Back in, I think we're back in. Yeah. So, where Let's are get we? to the juicy stuff. Are we on the plane yet? We're not quite on the plane. Yeah. It's a little bit more preamble. So I've said enough that around kind of June, at least, the stuff was coming back, and that was affecting some of the relationships around me. People were maybe starting to be a bit worried again. But taking it back a little bit further, so when the holiday was being planned and booked, like probably beginning of that year, two thousand six. Yeah, it was at least before I'd started kind of really coming out of the depression. And so I'd met them all at this house party. And it's like, oh, yeah, cool, we're going on holiday together. Yeah, it's be fun. Let's all get to know each other up in Oxfordshire. So you didn't really know these guys that well? No, not really. Like, some better than others. Like, obviously, Rose, my girlfriend, and a few of them I'd met, like, once or twice. Some of them I was meeting for the first time at this party, so... Uh, Steve, who was a single guy, I think I'd only met him the first time at this party. And Marissa, the single lady, met her for the first time as well. This is where it starts to get complicated. Here's it's where it gets crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we're all young, we're like 18, around that kind of age, figuring out who we are. We're all a bit kind of alternative and out there. Rose, I, I don't know if she identifies as bi, but she's at least kind of a bit interested in women, so... Uh, at one point at this party, Rose and Marissa were like kissing, and and I was like on board with this. Uh, Rose, she's like, oh no, let's all all kiss, and then and she's like, now you two kiss. So me and Marissa kiss, and it's kind of awkward. It's like we've only just met. What made it more awkward for me internally was like as soon as I met her, I was like, whoa, she's beautiful, kind of thing. I don't know. I I'd not even heard the term like say polyamory at that point or well i've never heard that you know what that is no multiple sexual partners yeah, yeah. or like multiple relationships oh. it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual but some people it's i think there's a fair kind of community in brighton swingers yeah i guess swingers come into it but it's not necessarily just swingers um yeah, that might be like a sort of subgrouping of polyamorous relationships. But liberal-minded places tend to attract this kind of thinking, along with, say, LGBT positive and you know, other kind of open, non-traditional ways of being. I got introduced to that concept of polyamory at a later stage, like 2007, 2008, by another girlfriend in the future. So, yes, yeah, so that's where you identify that you're secure enough in yourself and in your relationship that it's okay for one or both of you to also be in other side relationships. And when I heard that term, I was, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I think maybe that could be me. Like, I've never been a especially jealous person. So, yeah, maybe that's why I didn't really have a problem with 
say Rose kissing Marissa and me kissing Marissa and let's all just kind of you know, having some fun together. We're, yeah, we were in someone's room and it was just the three of us. And then at some point Rose was like, oh, we better go and join the, the rest of the party otherwise it's going to turn into a threesome kind of thing. So like young 18-year-old boys, like, because that would be so terrible <laughs> yeah. if that happened. <laughs> that planted a bit of a ballworm in my brain, I think, that that idea that we're all going on holiday together, if things go in the right direction, maybe we'll all, you know, get together. The whole gang? No, no, just the three just of us. Just the three? Yeah. Because yeah. the others were all kind of coupled off, and the other guy, Steve, he, he was just his own person. It's a bit kind of... I don't know what his deal was. He's a bit kind of like loud and angry. That's where some of the spiritual stuff comes in as well. Like um, I was quite into astrology, star signs for a while. And that links back to Thanks for Nothing because the drummer, Lawrence, he was really into astrology. He had like some books that he read and they seemed to be really like perceptive and sum up people like based on their star signs or what date they were born and it's the days of myspace as well where you get all these little quiz things sent around where it's like what's your star sign oh yeah if you're this sign you match well with that sign and stuff that's kind of reading into all the uh, mythology and symbolism that's attached to this star sign stuff so marissa was a leo rose was a gemini i'm a libra so libra and gemini are air signs and they compatible because of that from my learnings from these weird MySpace quizzes and just general reading, Leo is also compatible with Gemini and Libra because they're Leo's a fire sign. Air signs and fire signs are like masculine dominated, whereas the water and earth signs are feminine dominated. Everyone else on this holiday, I think Steve was a Cancer or something, water sign. It just sounds funny. Yeah, it does. Fern, Scorpio, water sign. They were all kind of water or earth signs, basically. So it's like there was that divide between the three of us and the seven of them. So we were the compatible masculine air and fire signs. They were compatible with each other as like earth and water signs within my frame of reference from how I was thinking about the world and relationships at that time. Nowadays, I... <sighs> I take it with a pinch of salt. It's, it's quite, it's kind of an interesting way to think about things, but I don't think there's particularly anything in it. Like, it's an idea that you're given, whether you believe it or not, you, it can form part of your identity. You know? Yeah. So, I think that confirmation bias may be by knowing I'm a Libra and I'm supposed to be balanced and sociable and see everyone's point of view. Maybe because I know those are the qualities of a Libra, I gravitate towards those qualities and express them. And like, what are the qualities of a Taurus? I don't know. I think it's like it's supposed to be like a leader and like strong and something like that. Angry, I guess. <laughs> Headstrong, like stubborn, perhaps. Yeah, stubborn. This one, yeah, yeah. which I am. Yeah, maybe confrontational. <laughs> you see, like, isn't everyone like that? in some ways you can find aspects of yourself to fit all of these things yeah you can and 
definitely don't believe horoscopes because they're just written so generically. I feel like there's there's maybe something there in the you're given a set of stories about yourself you might kind of gravitate towards them or at certain point in your childhood unless you've got parents who just won't stand for that shit you believe that santa claus is real and you act like he exists kind of thing you try to be good when it's leading up to christmas so you get some presents maybe it's kind of similar with star signs for the a certain point of your life when you're young and impressionable you're told you're a libra so you're going to be kind of balanced and calm maybe i i act like that's true and that kind of shapes the way that like the direction my life goes in or the, the qualities i express yeah it's like a diagnosis almost like. yeah well yeah yeah maybe it's it's on that kind of same level as an incomplete story at best it's something that you might tick boxes for it if you just kind of base your impression and of someone on that and that alone you're you're not going to see the richness of the person and the, all the sides to them so were you like oh it's written in the stars this threesome uh, a little so, bit. So well, what's going on I don't, not necessarily but I, I was kind of like well, that kind of framed the way i was viewing this the lead up to this holiday and it did seem to there did seem to be like a separation between the three of us and the rest of them like we, we were on one level and they were on another level and then but then within that, I reached some other level which Rose couldn't climb up to. She's very kind of bright, intelligent, very analytical, maths kind of brain. Um, that's what she went to study at. Maths. Maths, yeah. So talking about star signs with her, I think she's kind of open to that kind of stuff, but didn't, or at least at that time, she didn't really have a language or a sensitivity or a, an openness to that way of thinking about the world i think we, we both kind of agreed that we didn't believe in god and that yeah kind of secular science atheism seemed to be the way forward but i think i was a bit more open to weird alternative ideas yeah. and like archetypes and stories and that spiritual realm we'll call it so yeah we went into this holiday and i've been opening myself up to this again or just having some disrupted sleep and remembering things and coming up with ideas and things were starting to make sense in my mind and going into this holiday with these existing conflicts between me and Rose and this attraction to Marissa and this idea that like you know maybe something will happen between the three of us but then again I need to sort my shit out with Rose if that's going to happen because we're kind of in conflict at the moment and sounds like the perfect time for a holiday <laughs> well yeah if, if a holiday is just kind of relaxing and getting away and unwinding then yeah that might have been exactly what i needed but that's not how it happened like those guys or the i don't know if rose or marissa were smoking weed but the rest of them they all like skateboarded and, and smoked and they're into like rock music and it I found kind of common ground with that that group, I think. And that there's a lot of kind of camaraderie and fun. It it wasn't all just like batshit crazy, the psychosis stuff. It, there was some normal kind of what would be expected of a bunch of 18-year-olds on holiday together in Barcelona, just, you know, drinking, exploring the town, going to the beach, swimming. Tapas. Tapas, yeah. Yeah. Ham on? Uh, don't know what that is. <laughs> I think it's just ham. <laughs> That's cool.
were close when I arrived But just a blink away One started opening my eyes In less than seven days And God, it helps along the track Like a puppet being shown And those who run part of the act The narrative unknown Star in the house, star in the bush Did I also shine? I never used to be interested in history or war or any of that at school, but like Dan Carlin has turned. Oh me on yeah, to yeah, it. he's good, isn't yeah, he? He's yeah, genius. Yeah, I'm all, I've always loved history though, but he's uh, like, but yeah, he, he brings it real, doesn't he? Mm, yeah, yeah. The one on the Celtic Holocaust, like Julius Caesar. A bit that stood out to me in that one is he's. He's talking about like a conversation with one of his old history professors and the professor's like, so what about the role of magic in this time? And then Dan Carlin's like, oh, well, you know, magic doesn't exist. So it can't have had any effect on the bearing of how things played out. The teacher's like, no, but everyone acted as if magic exists. Like that's a thing that you would do. There's a battle coming up. You go and see shaman of the village for advice and maybe casting spells on the opposing leader to help them win the battle and everyone acted as if that was true yeah i guess that comes back to that astrology spirituality kind of thing if you if enough people act like something is real then it becomes real in a sense oh yeah definitely people don't want to entertain that idea much so do they that people like harsh lines between yeah what's real and what's not yeah, and we've learned so much about the world that now we know what's real, so we don't have to think about history of mysticism and religion, philosophy. They don't want to teach you that at school. No, they want you to. They've got their curriculum, which is how we need to think about the world if we want yeah. to you know, make profit for everyone. Yeah. So I poured myself like an extra <laughs> little uh, whiskey cup because now we're getting, getting into real shit, I think. Oh, let's go then. Let's go. Okay. Probably about halfway through the holiday, things started to get real, like in terms of my mental state. And this is where it got really weird because Marissa, we're calling her, at a certain point, I was like, oh shit, she's in on this. Like she's operating on whatever this higher level is that I'm tapping into. Puppet master or? Or, Yeah, Yeah. more like that. Or, Or like teacher and student or... A guide, mm. and and this is like the stuff that really I have no idea what to make of. Like even now, um, I've I've got theories, but none of them are particularly satisfying. And since we got back from Barcelona and they're back in Gatwick, that's the last time I saw her. I've not had any. I, I think whilst I was in hospital, so I still had a number from like the holiday and stuff. And I, I think I was kind of phoning, trying to phone her, like sending weird texts and leaving voicemails, trying to get like an answer from her about what was going on but 
I never had anything back from her. So all I have to base this on is the experience of that week in Barcelona, the things that I saw or thought that I saw. According to Rose and according to anyone else that I spoke to, it was all in my head. I've got this conflict between what I believe happened and what I'm told is just symptoms of the mental health condition and what people around me are saying I've not been able to resolve that and I'm not sure I ever will like so iTunes that was one thing so I think it was Steve he brought his laptop his like MacBook with him and he had like his music collection on iTunes I don't think I'd even seen iTunes up, up to that point I'd not really been exposed to like Apple products so that was like a new layout for me that wasn't familiar with music would be playing and it would it was set up in a way so it'd have i think the song title was at the top and it would cycle through the album name and the artist name and it would usually be on shuffle and then the song that came on next would be significant in some way and i'd be like reading the song titles and things were appearing and they were like little messages i had the sense that someone was manipulating that and whether marissa was in on that or not there was something was being kind of communicated with me um oh and i've not even mentioned like the illuminati (laughs) how could you not yeah how could we go so long and not yeah not mention that so i'd read the david ike book the previous winter (laughs) yeah the biggest secret like during my depression so i remember what i said about like when i'm depressed i read i take stuff in yeah when I'd sort of reached this weird higher place again, it's something like, oh yeah, it's all true. Oh yeah, he wasn't kidding about this. Yeah, there's you know, hidden forces in the shadows running the world. Is this lizards? Yeah, yeah, lizards, reptiles. But I'm agnostic about all that stuff now, I think. But at the time, it was it became real. When I was going off on my own, wandering around Barcelona, I was sort of like hunting for reptiles. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. In the, it's like a campsite with chalets that we're staying in, a couple of different chalets, I think five people to a chalet. And there was a, like a communal toilet block with sort of mirrors at opposing ends. And I kind of look in the mirror and I kind of see like a, a green, green reflection in my own face kind of thing. And I had this idea that one day I'd be kind of looking in the mirror and maybe I'd see kind of like a proper reptile face like further back in one of those mirrored reflections. I, I didn't actually see that, but I started to think like, you know, maybe I'm tapping into the reptilian part of my brain. Like maybe this is how you become the one of these Illuminati's. Maybe it's like within us all. Maybe it's not that there's hidden forces controlling the world, being malevolent. Maybe it's something that you wake up in yourself and that that text, that idea that there's something dangerous and you need to find out the truth that is just like a bridge to get to the actual true understanding which is like this spiritual awakening or emergence which which is what i seem to be experiencing at the time yeah it got to this point where it all like was making sense and and my impression was that marissa was already there she, she'd already kind of reached that that place and she was able to communicate with me on that level without anyone else kind of picking up on it did you ask her about it not directly just sort of like wink wink nudge nudge a little bit but it was it's very much kind of non-verbal communication that we were exchanging and transient enough that it it seems quite possible that it would be it could just have been a hallucination but some of it's like very real and very concrete tangible like stuff that she actually said to me stuff that she said to rose that rose then passed on to me do you remember 
written down a few things yeah nice go through the the bits of evidence that i've got kind of in my favor that suggests (laughs) that something actually happened right i'd already been kind of dabbling in meditation and stuff so marissa this was passed on to me by rose she said to me oh marissa said to me that that you should meditate and i said well he already does and she said well he should do it better to get to the the next get to the next level or or just to contain it like to be able to like tap into that stuff without it taking over harness your powers yeah yeah Yeah. that's kind of the place that i think she was at like to be able to tap into that without being overwhelmed by it you know i gave that five knuckle quote earlier when i had this before i was drowning and this time i was trying to learn how to swim in reality i just drowned again like i i went deeper into it but I still became overwhelmed by it and it affected my behavior and my ability to come back to reality and exist in the, the real world. Do you think there is a real world? Quick tangent. Have you heard uh, Anil Seth? No. Okay. There's a TED talk that he's done and he's been on a podcast with Sam Harris. He's a researcher at the University of Sussex, actually. So yeah. We should get him on the podcast. Yeah. What's his name? Anil Seth. Um, but his TED Talk's titled like something like Your Brain Hallucinates Your Conscious Reality. Oh, that's, like that. that's up my street. Yeah. I think that will do as an, an answer for is there a reality. I think he'll say it a lot better than, than I could articulate at the moment. What's the, the next, the next piece, uh, of evidence? piece of evidence? <laughs> so another one passed on by Rose. It's like, oh, yeah, Marissa told me like you should just punch him in the face because we've been like arguing come into conflict all through this holiday and i was like yeah that's probably a good idea actually she got a bit upset by that and then at a later stage like i remember i was sitting on the bed like in the room where we were sleeping the two of us and i was i was quite down actually at that point i was really like low energy no idea what i said but it rubbed her the wrong way and probably just spouting more kind of spiritual gibberish and this like kind of look came over her where she looked like really like evil uh, like a wild animal that was ready to pounce for a moment and and she just like swung for me and i ducked and yeah so she went to punch me like following marissa's advice and and i ducked and she missed and then she kind of realized what happened and started crying and that was that um yeah that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it happened i mentioned philip pullman earlier so a, a lot of where I went in my head during both 2005 and 2006 because Philip Pullman of those like atheist agnostic there's very much like a spiritual element to it it's the story is basically about it's based off paradise lost and the devils which lead to the fall of man like um yeah the fall of Eve or whatever and so and it's uh, and I, I don't want to spoil it actually it's it's a good book but i'll forget it yeah you'll forget it yeah okay but what about the listeners <laughs> they can turn off okay they kill god essentially nice well they don't exactly kill god it's a bit more complicated than that but they bring down that they, they find god and they they find he's not even he's not even powerful he's like a prisoner in this crystal shell and he's like this old decrepit angel that's like ancient and in pain there are other kind of archangels and Metatron is like the the one pulling the strings and like the highest authority of the church. He's like the regent of heaven. So there's two characters 
Marissa Coulter and uh, Lord Asriel in the in the book. Yeah, yeah. So same same name as same name as the one that I made up for this. Yeah, yeah. Coincidence well, or intentional? Nice. Yeah. Well, there's in all these assumed names. There's some significance. Well, that's that's probably we'll never me, know. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Well, right. who knows? You have to read between. They'll the probably know. They'll probably if if any of them ever wind up listening to this, they'll be like, oh yeah, okay, that name makes sense for me. So the central character is Lyra, and then Will comes into it in the second book. They're essentially Adam and Eve in this story. And then Mrs. Coulter is Lyra's mother. Lord Asriel is Lyra's father. Lord Asriel, he's essentially Lucifer, or, or like the chief kind of devil. He's working actively against the order of the church, which... And it's set in an alternate universe, basically, that's like our world, but different, and where the church is the government, basically. And Lord Asriel, he's like nobility, but he's a rebel, and he, he falls out of favour with the church, and then actively works to like bring it down, basically. And Mrs Coulter, she is... She's working within the church, and she's also in a like high position. She has a husband something Coulter, who Lord Asriel kills in a crime of passion because um, he uh, basically met Mrs Coulter and she fell in love with him and they had Lyra like while she was still kind of married and that led to them getting in a fight and him killing her husband. So Mrs Coulter, she continues to operate within the church, within the existing order, and she's actually like the main antagonist for most of the book. Most of the books, most of the story. But she ends up kind of working for the good in the end. Like she, she is kind of key in bringing down the evil angels of heaven in the end. She kind of works within the system, but helps to bring it down, create change that frees everyone from oppression and makes the world kind of better for everyone. Okay, so I had to explain that to explain this. <laughs> this was a conversation that was... That was me, Rose, and Marissa, all together, the three of us. Okay, where were we? I, th- I think we were in the chalet, like in the main sort of communal area. I'm 99% sure that I'm not kind of imagining this. I was using a lot of metaphor to explain what I was going through, and I was referencing back to stories, this being one of them, that I knew that she had read, that Rose had read, and that, that I'd also read. So I was like, this is an analogy that you might understand. You're Lyra... And I'm Will, so we're the main two characters in this book and we got to play our part in this story. And Marissa says, after I just said, so you're Lyra, so I'm Will. She says, more like Mrs. Coulter, something like that. More like Mrs. Coulter. It's sort of speculative, like wondering, like a suggestion rather than a command kind of thing. Very kind of gentle tone, which I've heard a lot of psychologists use. <laughs> At that point, I was like, wow, yes, okay, I, I get you. I need to be more like Mrs. Coulter and not think that I'm Will, not think that I'm like the saviour and the central character of this story. I need to learn to act and work within the system, reality, whatever it is, but still work for my own ends, whatever that might be. Learn to swim? Learn to swim, yeah. Yeah, yeah learn to swim whilst appearing to be just another cog in the machine but like although I understood that and that helps me to rein in some of my 
behavior and my speech it still wasn't enough for me to like fully get a grip on reality again as as it transpired but so that that is probably like the main bit of evidence that I kind of base this on that maybe there was something real there there's like three more point where it became clear to me or the way she kind of revealed to me that she was paying attention or like on the same wavelength it's one of the other people on the holiday wore braces and I think she had these little packets that she kept her like braces retainer in when she wasn't wearing them one of them had a little fox on it one of them had a rabbit on it and so yeah also knowing a bit about Chinese astrology so I'm a rabbit is that the year of the animal thing yeah year of the year of the rabbit and so they'd been kind of left around the sink in a pattern which I could see it, it was weird it's it's like yeah that, that kind of non-verbal coded messages kind of thing that wouldn't have made any sense to anyone not in that state it's in the bathroom so we'd be hanging out in the lounge one person would go in and use the bathroom and that's just like a normal thing that you do isn't it when you're hanging out so you need the toilet every now and then but yeah. I'd gone into the bathroom and saw these little packets had been, yeah, they, they were together. So there's a rabbit on one side and the fox on the other side. Maybe the fox was there, I don't know. But the fox had like right written on it in the bottom corner. I don't know if that was written by Nona, whose braces they were, if that kind of meant something. It became like significant to me because I was like, oh, look at those. I'll switch, switch them over. I went out the room Marissa goes in there at some point and then when I went back into the bathroom and looked at it again, it, the layout of these items around the sink had been completely changed to draw attention to the fox that said right on it. Well, that's how I read it at least. And it's like, it, again, it was like, this is the right way to be. Be like a fox, be crafty, like wily kind of thing. Like, don't give too much away. It's another way of articulating the same kind of idea of be more like Mrs. Coulter. Uh, are, you, are you still with me yeah 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 we're probably near the end I hope <laughs> um oh and yeah there's some weird stuff around that like so from that moment like I I clocked this and I think when when I'd kind of rearranged them I'd been aware of her in my line of sight like she was watching it was like she'd deliberately gone in there and moved them around to like create this little message for me to then see. And from that point on, it was like we were completely communicating on this other level and no one else was picking up on it, but we, we had something unspoken going on. And and then it became this weird little game of cat and mouse almost where like I never really knew where she was or where I was, but I, I knew that I wanted to try and figure some stuff out and then find her and check it out and see how I was doing. Like that, like I said, the teacher and pupil kind of thing. And then at one point, yeah, after she'd said the Miss Coulter thing, because I'd been kind of spouting you know, immutable truths of the universe like all the while, and I just kind of changed the way I did it. Like, So the group would be walking, like Rose would be walking as part of the group. I'd kind of come up behind her and just like say something, and then I'd walk away before she could respond. And then I look over and, and Marissa had been observing this and she's like, good. And 
yeah, just whatever she was doing, it was reinforcing whatever I was believing. Um, or it was just all in my mind and none of this happened. That's still a possibility that I'm half willing to consider. Um, okay, so the the last kind of really significant thing, we'd made it back to the airport. There's some other kind of weird stuff, like more to do with the Illuminati, but I, th- I feel like that's a conversation for another time. It's particularly because I'm going on a flight in a few days. And Did you want to get on the flight? Yes and no. Like it, the whole way th- through there, it was like just an extension of this spiritual journey and I was getting sun cream out and making little patterns on the floor and I got on there somehow. Like I, I was kind of scared of getting on the flight, but I was also like, I was being guided by her and by the group like that they wanted me to get on the flight and she was giving messages like, it's okay, like, it's all right, don't worry about it kind of thing. I don't know if I'd read this in the David Icke book or, but I had this idea that airports were particular centres for like, Illuminati bases. So, yeah, so that was... That was that airport in America with that painting. You seen that one? Uh, is it like Michigan or Montana or some airport where there's like a mural where it's, it basically uh, shows like the extermination of, of the human population oh, and, stuff, and it's like everyone just walks past it and ignores it like it's a normal <laughs> yeah. thing you know what i mean don't yeah, you? yeah i yeah. feel like i have seen that yeah like that's the kind of picture that would be in those kind of books of being like look yeah this is all around you yeah. yeah you don't even know it <laughs> but yeah we we got on the flight and, and that was and there was some kind of weird spiritual battle going on in my head for that whole way through and it's it's weird, like, kind of felt like we had to go with England in mind. That's the destination. We're going home. But then it's tricky because according to that Illuminati spiel, like the Queen of England is mm. the... Queen of the lizards. Yeah. 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 So, oh, our Queenie, she's still going strong, bless her. Um, we got home anyway. We got off the plane... And so the whole time, I don't think I'd ever seen Marissa wear glasses. Oh, do I know where this is going? No. No? Well, where do you think it's going, though? You think she's wearing the glasses to cover up her reptile eyes, <laughs> which proves that she is on the level. <laughs> That's funny. Well, she'd worn sunglasses all throughout the oh, trip. Oh, so. I was thinking sunglasses. Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about like reading glasses oh, kind of thing. So it's like to magnify the maybe, lid. but but it was it was like a passing glance kind of thing. I wasn't aware of her like needing reading glasses or whatever. But it's like she'd got something out of her bag, put glasses on briefly to read it, and then put them back in her bag. On the wavelength I was on, I interpreted that as being like go back to Tamsin who wore glasses, the girl that I'd sort of been seeing for a bit before I probably met Rose. And we ended up getting back together, like me and Tamsin, sort of following year. And that was kind of a, a nice, important relationship, and which then preceded the second time I went to hospital. But So make that what you will. Like, I, I read that as a signal, like, you know, this might be the end of the line for this relationship and this these people that we're with, but go back to her when when you're ready and then see what happens so yeah 
this comes back to like the Dan Carlin magic analogy. Whether any of this happened in reality, whether there was any connection between me and Marissa, whether she was on that wavelength as well, or if it was all in my head, it doesn't really matter because I took stuff in at that point, which was like, it was like a vision of the future. It laid out certain details of a path which I've been following and that's where I am now and what right now 2018 what yeah I don't know it feels like that experience in Barcelona you could connect all the dots and see how I got from there to here Uh, like which obviously you could that's what telling a life story is isn't it you just it's like here I am now that's how I got here but there were certain decisions that I made based on those experiences which worked out well or or not well they 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 led to certain things happening like certain connections being made it's kind of like that that week showed me a picture of the future like an unclear picture of the future it's like fragments of where i was supposed to go oh i've never thought of it like that Mm. and i followed those and that's where it kind of comes to what I was interested in, Joe, Joe's kind of take on whatever he's experienced and that like the spiritual coincidences and connections. And if you follow them, you, you suddenly feel like you're in this weird rhythm where everything makes sense. But like, I don't know how much of that is an illusion or, or just like I, I try to be sceptical and yeah, think critically about that and not, not get too carried away with it because it's dangerous <laughs> or in, in the past it's been dangerous for yeah. me. It still kind of feels right. Like I, I can feel when I'm in that zone and that flow that I'm making little connections that, that link back to that like week of awakening or however you want to phrase it. So yeah, whether it happened or not, it's still, it's changed my life and it's led me to a place where the world kind of makes sense for me. And it doesn't really matter if that stuff's real or not. Like I'm still kind of living in a way that feels okay to me and, and feels important. So when people say to you, like, oh, that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, you're, like, mentally ill or whatever. Yeah, they could say that. What? How do you take that? Like, they don't say it to me like that very often anymore. No. I've, uh, I've, maybe I've finally learned to swim. Or maybe I've just learned how to be the fox or the Mrs. Coulter. Of just You can think these things, but you don't blab about them to the wider world. Because they're not on the level. They're not on the level, yeah. They're not ready. They'll get there in their own time, maybe. Should we leave it there, then? Mm. That's a good place to end, right? Yeah. I think so. What's next, though? How can, it, how how, can you top this? <laughs> I'll see. Off, yeah? Yeah. You, you don't want to say anything else? Um, well, to be continued, I suppose. Like, I've been I've been digging into this story. Like, I literally yeah, pulled some, uh, some stuff that I brought, which I was kind of half planning to read, like things that I wrote down whilst I was in hospital, like... Maybe that would be interesting to read out on the next the next time we do something like this because there's a darker side to all of this as well, which I've not even darker. Has this been dark? This has all been like fairy tales and and light, like relatively speaking. Yeah, I like guess dark. Does it make obviously. sense when you read read it back? When what? I read the stuff that I wrote, yeah, to a degree. Some some say, oh, that's a good idea. Others like, yeah. I didn't write down very much, to be fair. And I think there's probably more stuff in the loft that I've not read yet. 
the stuff I wrote in hospital is quite few and far between, and it's it's reasonably articulate, but it's kind of gibberish as well. I, yeah, I think, Beyond language. Hmm, maybe. But at that point, I'm being medicated, so I'm less in touch with whatever it was I'd opened up to. So it's, and I'm being presented with this medical model view of the world, so it's, it's probably the, the vision is less clear, and I don't know. We'll pick, we'll pick up the rest of the tale again <laughs> someday. This has nothing to do with coffee.